Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday, October 14th. Time for trucking technology and efficiency. We're going to open the phone lines if you want to jump in. You can do that right now, 855-950-3835. I've got Joel Morrow in the house already. Well, he's not actually here in the house, but he'll be here with us. Uh, John seems to be MIA. Uh, The last thing he told us last week was, I'll be there next week, I think. Did he call the show? I don't remember. I'm pretty sure he said that. Uh, So we'll... uh, We'll see. Uh, I'm going to bring Joel in right now, and we'll get started. If we can find John, we'll bring him in. Joel, good morning. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. So um, we're going to do something different today. Fridays are kind of like a catch-all. You know, there's there's these stories that come up, and I don't really know where they fit in, and I want to talk about them, and I kind of save them for Fridays. So we're going to find out what's on your mind this week, and then I'm going to go through my list of stuff that I need to get to, and I'll let you comment on all of them as well. What do you think? That'll work. I'm, I'm just kind of hoping uh, J- John didn't get kidnapped by the Ferrari team and taken back over to Italy or something. I know. That might have happened. He's just, like, <laughs> falling off the radar here. You never Uh-oh. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Uh-oh. We are... Not being hurt. Oh, hold on. I know why. All right, Aaron. Sorry about this. It was operator error. Um, Tell me if we're on the air now. You should be hearing us now. So it was operator error. I had to. uh, We're shifting some of our shows to recorded podcast. One of the reasons is it just gives me more time to do more shows. If it isn't scheduled. It's easier for me to fit it in somewhere. And the same with guests. A lot of times we have a hard time getting guests on when we tell them it's a live show. You have to be here at this time, especially on the health side with doctors. And so we're moving some of our shows to recorded podcast. Then we can work with people and set a recording time. So we did one of our first last night. It was an episode of Destination Health where I'm the client. It's kind of fun. Um, but when I do that, when I record, I have to turn off the broadcast part of it because we're recording. I don't want it going out over the air. Well, then I also have to remember to turn it back on, which I forgot this morning. So, um, we are good now. So, all right, let's get to it. Um, maybe we'll find John, hopefully. Um, what, uh, what's on your mind this week? I got my breakdown on my fuel efficiency on my run out to salt lake city oh, good. Um, uh, so that that was pretty cool and i just wanted to kind of go over that really quick um we done a round out to salt lake city spent some time out in salt lake city um doing a lot of testing work um i had four different drivers in the truck uh, so the majority of this came with different drivers that 
I basically was just setting in the truck to make sure they didn't put it in the ditch, so to speak. <laughs> uh, I just let them do their thing. <laughs> they were able to use all the different performance features of the new iTorque spec. Hey, hey Joel. Um, and they used them a lot. Uh-huh. I, I'm going to interrupt here. Just because I think this is kind of mm-hmm. funny, if we think about you know driver trainers or whatever, and you say, I'm sitting there to make sure they don't put it in the ditch, but what really could you do? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Besides yellow shit, there's not a whole right. you exactly. could do. But, but, uh, you would no, just be there I, as a witness, I, I mean, guess. Just, but, yeah. Yeah, I just kind of get the sense when they're when they're in the mountains, especially right. if they're yeah. really screwing up, you know, right out of the gate, we could we could jump on them, and, and that go. that didn't happen. Um, safe to say, but uh, you know, we've always heard that. Well, you know, it's just you driving, and and how much of a, a difference the driver makes and whatnot. And right. This was you know, kind of purposely done to demonstrate how much we were able to close the gap, uh, you know, me versus four other drivers with vastly different driving styles. So we ran a total of 6,694 miles. The truck had 555 miles when we started this. It was loaded every mile at uh, 73,500 pounds. It had a ballasted load, basically big plastic, big plastic boxes full of sand. So there's no empty miles in here to throw this. We ran the speed limit everywhere. Um, Out in Kansas, when it was 80 mile an hour, we were running 80 mile an hour. Um, A lot of 75 mile an hour time in there. When we done testing out on the salt flat, um, I'm just going to tell you it was north of that uh, 80 mile an hour mark. <laughs> um, we had about 15, <laughs> about 1,500 miles worth of testing out in the Salt Lake City area at very high speeds. We also took two days in Topeka, Kansas, where we had plus 100 degree heat, where we just let the truck idle. So we had some elevated idle time included in this. Um, And like I said, liberal use of performance mode, especially through the hills. Uh, The route was 70 across up the back way up into Provo and then up into Salt Lake City. So we went up, what's that, 191 through Helper and Wellington. Um, So a lot of hills. Obviously, we went over Eisenhower, we went over Vale, we went over Soldier, um, again, all loaded miles, uh, same weight everywhere that we went, lots of high speed, lots of green drivers in the truck for that overall on a fresh engine, we done 8.4 miles a gallon. Wow. Um, when you, when you break out what I done coming back with the truck and again, I, I ran it at the speed limit, um, ran it hard. Um, I was only able to do 8.63. Oh, there, so oh, you know, taking yeah, starting to close that gap up. No, no doubt about it. So, uh, uh, really happy with the numbers that we saw. Um, we do know that when you look over time, as that engine breaks in, um, in my brother's fleet, we see a very solid three quarters of a mile a gallon gain from day one to sixty thousand miles. Um, we have several other fleets we benchmark, and they see the exact same thing. So what was I'm that number very again? Comfortable saying, 
point five three quarters of a mile oh, a gallon. Point seven five. Point se- point seven five. So yeah, for the break in period. That was the next question. So I once had this for is you. broken, yes, yes, we're into the nines. Um, once this thing so, broke in, just running, cr- running crazy. Yeah. So <laughs> it was. Uh, this is, pretty cool. it, this is very cool. This is really interesting. And as soon as you started talking about this new truck, I wrote down a question. And my question was going to be, mm-hmm. you answered it already. Is anybody tracking mileage gain on these new trucks as they break in? This is something we used to talk about a lot. Hasn't been mentioned in, I can't even remember when. We used to talk about this. We used to, you know, and, and on the you know, older trucks before a lot of the new technology, we used to say about a half mile per gallon at least. You're, you're, you know, from zero to when we kind of peak on this, you can count on at least a half mile per gallon for break-in. And we haven't talked about it in a long time. So I was wondering if I would have had to have guessed, I would have thought it might have gotten better because, you know, we have you know, better materials now. I don't think there's as much of a break in, but it's interesting that it's still up there pretty high. Yeah. So here's something that I I find very interesting as well. And when you compare, let's just, let's, let's just pick on PACAR for a second. And this actually probably works to their advantage. So when you look at an engine that, that has that longer stroke with the shorter connecting rod and you get a lot of that thrust loading or side loading of the piston into the cylinder wall, typically what we see when we see fleets that run the pack are the Cummins product, they typically break in faster um, where it takes us sense. 60 to 70,000 miles to break in because we're not side loading that piston. They're breaking in in 20 to 25,000 miles. They normally don't see as much gain. They typically see that half mile a gallon that you're talking about. And one of the challenges that Volvo runs into, um, so fleets will want to do longer term testing. And to them, longer term is like 30 or 40,000 miles. So they'll they'll get a new Kenworth, they'll get a new Volvo, they'll put them into service at the same time, and they'll come back and say, oh, this Kenworth gets a half mile a gallon better than your Volvo. (laughs) And they're not wrong, (laughs) but the break-in periods are different on them because of the engine design. So people just, you need need to be aware of that. It does take a little bit longer for a Volvo to break in. Um, simply because we're not side loading that piston like like the other brands do, yeah. but uh, still so, some pretty Im- impressive numbers for the conditions are, that we ran in. I, I thought it was really good. These are really impressive numbers. Let's think about this. Other than weather, you w- this is almost worst case scenario everywhere here. You, you know, you had decent sure. weather, but other than that, heavy loads. That's a consistently heavy load. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy to run around right. without that kind of weight, especially if you control your own mm-hmm. freight. It's not hard at all. Um, you were in the worst, mm-hmm. you know, conditions as far as, you know, lots of hills with that kind of weight. You did the crazy stuff like mm-hmm. running out on the salt flats. You had switching drivers constantly. This is just mm-hmm. almost we're and running the speed limit. Um, what we're saying mm-hmm. here, and, and you got you know, basically 8.4, you didn't do much better, less than two and a half tens, which means mm-hmm. there's a good chance that 40% number we used to use that the driver influences fuel economy is just not true anymore. Not not in a truck like this would, spec'd properly. 
That's exactly right. When we're specced correctly and, you know, we have the parameter set right, and that is that is also a key. Um, you know, they come out of the factory with default settings, and the factory doesn't know exactly what you want to do with the truck. And unfortunately, you know, dealer training's not to the level yet where the dealer knows what questions to ask, and then they can say, you need this parameter, this parameter, and this parameter. Obviously, we're working towards that goal to bring the dealers up to speed on parameter settings. And I'm hoping this really opens some eyes at the dealer level to say, holy shit, you know, that really this, makes a big difference. This works. We better make sure we get those right. Yeah, this yeah, works. Absolutely. And and what what we're saying here now with this and, and this testing is, is really showing this, that, you know, I'll go back to 09 when we built our first signature truck. And we were pretty impressed that we actually broke nine miles to the gallon. That was a big deal. Um, but there's no way you would ever sell that truck to a fleet. Talk about a disaster. That If you sold a hundred of those trucks to a fleet, you'd put them out of business. It was just too complicated. Right. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, we pushed yes. the limits of everything, and it was just too complicated, which is the way you do things. You know, concept cars, that's how you right. – same thing. You just have to keep pushing the limits. So, But what we're saying now is a fleet could buy 100 of these trucks, and we could expect that they should all get better than eight miles to the gallon. Maybe even better than uh, nine right. in a real world where you do have empty miles and you do have, you know, you said running the speed limit. Well, if you spend some time in California, Oregon, you know, Washington, your speed limit's down quite a bit. Spend enough time in the East Coast, it's down quite a bit. So you got over eight and all the miles were just about the worst conditions other than weather. Um, so it would be safe to assume I could put a hundred of these trucks or a thousand of these trucks into service at a fleet and we should expect eight. And that's exactly what my brother's banking on. He's got 15 of these common. I think he gets 10 this week with the, these exact same specs. Only he went six by four because he has an accelerated resale. Okay. Um, and, and we know the six by two will ding on resale. So, um, yeah, hey, it's, let me uh, let me comment on that. Two one six I torque spec. Let, let mm -hmm. me comment on this. this. This just makes me crazy about our industry. Number one expense fuel. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it, it mm -hmm. just makes me insane. And yet, look at the kind of stuff we do. What what you just said right there. Mm -hmm. It it's just absolutely boggles my mind. How think about when I used to have to say yes. It's true. If you buy a classic with a 16 liter engine, it will have higher resale. Mm -hmm. But why? Uh -huh. Why does it have yeah, high? It, it makes it, no <laughs> sense. Uh, we, and, we've been brainwashed into believing bigger is always better. Yeah. And, and, and more is always better. And, and now you're saying not the case. this six by two technology, which is an improvement across the board has a lower resale value. Oh, it makes me crazy. Correct. It, it, it makes me nuts. I, you know, I hate to watch them have to order that six by four based yeah. on just resale there. Right. That, that, that's all it is. Um, 
you know, but I do believe that if we have an extended period of higher pricing here, I think the six by two is really going to come into its own. I think um, so. Obviously, I think the I think the Volvo system is, in my opinion, by far the best system on the market. Freightliner has a system that that works pretty damn well. Um, so you've got you've got the biggest. Obviously, Freightliner is the the thousand pound gorilla in the room. Um, they have most of the market share and, and they've spent some time and they've introduced a, a, a decent system. You know, I, I think Volvo's always been kind of known to lead technology in certain areas and, and certainly the six by two, it, it, you know, they've led in this area yeah. for a long time and, you know, and it's something near and dear to my heart. I've worked on six by two with Volvo's for over 10 years now. And, and, you know, we've had them in the family, business since 1968 so we've got a lot of experience with them absolutely love them well it's um as rare as they are you know business sometimes dictates what we do exactly and that's i mean that's what makes you guys successful you you pay attention to all this stuff and you don't get locked in to the thought of oh no six by two is better wide singles are better you you really look at all the variables is this different for everybody so it's, it's one of the reasons um, you guys are successful. Correct. And, 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 you know, what's really cool is since I, I have started my own testing and consulting company, which allows me to do some things that when my brother looks at it from a business sense, he goes, I, I can't do that. And, right. and I get it. And it used to be frustrating as hell. Right. So speaking of the wide base singles today, they're actually putting on a set of wide base singles on my truck. Excellent. I, I'm not really sure how I feel. I know. <laughs> I get it. You know, know. we're going to test it, and we're going we're going to find out. Um, I think we have made significant strides in this area, and you know, I think I think we're going to show some decent results this time around. Again, I worked with them for over ten years on wide base, and we could not make them work to the point where it was a slam dunk to put them on the truck. Right. Um, I. I, I I think I think we're there, um, but it's just odd because it's nagging at me. You know, I this, know. this isn't going to work. This isn't going to well, work. But it, we're we're going to try it again. <laughs> here, here's the example of this for me. For years, I said, "Look, I've tested the fuel additives. I've tested the oil additives. Just forget them all. They're just not mm-hmm. worth using." You know, you might see a little gain mm-hmm. here, but really all we're doing is probably cleaning some things out and getting you back to where you should have been anyway. But then I had to mm-hmm. keep an open mind on that. I mean, I said that for 15 years. Sure. I tested this stuff over and over sure. and over. And then all of a sudden the catalyst comes along and then you come along with the C-Tain. Mm-hmm. And it, it, well, it turns out, mm-hmm. you know what? In, on fuel additives, I'm, I'm in. I get it. But it was the same way. I didn't mm-hmm. want to, you know, have to go back and say, I, we have to look at this again. I, for me, it was settled. Well, it, and it, you know, and we know exactly why, too, because when you're not catching your emissions, it's it's very, very difficult to justify a fuel additive. If yeah. your cetane's a little low and it puffs a little more smoke. It just goes up the stack. Who cares? Right. You know, you're not you're not having to pay to service that emission system. As we started learn about you know learning about um, uh, the back pressure rise over time and the DPF, that that changed the entire game right there as yeah. far as additives go. In my opinion, now um, 
you almost can't go without it if you really want to drive your maintenance costs down and, and, right. and keep them low. I think it's it's almost it's almost necessary, and yeah. that's a complete change from where we were a few years ago. Especially with you, you know, you you you've done the testing, you, you tracked it all on non-emissions engines. You you couldn't really see a difference. I mean, when I was doing it, I couldn't really see a difference. I was just that geek that, oh, it sounds a little better. I think it runs a little better. I'm going to do it. You know, right. I, I could never cost justify it. Right. Um, but, but now you can certainly cost justify it. And, you know, we, we done this one time as a, uh, uh, geez, this was probably five or six years ago. We had stopped running uh, fuel treatment for eight months, just kind of as a, as a, a cost savings measure, we thought, um, we said, you know what, we're not sure that this is really having that much of an impact. Let's, we're going to stop buying it. And our maintenance costs just skyrocketed in those eight months versus our historical norms. We were in that eight months, we were plus $128,000. And a lot of this was the variable geometry turbo, you know, they don't sweep. So you got to put a turbo on it and some injector issues. And then when we started treating again, and this is, this is a fleet. So this is a, a pretty reliable number. As soon as we started treating again, that number came right back down to historical norms. We weren't seeing the, the, the VGT issues. We weren't seeing That's the injector big. issues. And yeah. And That's the big, big thing for us yeah. was my, my maintenance, my maintenance manager, Shane, he hated Sunday mornings. As soon as we quit treating the guys would come in, Oh, I got plug fuel filter, <laughs> you know, the fuel pro, you can look right through it and see it. Yep. And, you know, it was five or six trucks every Sunday morning. He was out there having to fiddle with before they could get on the road. You get back on the fuel treatment, all that stuff goes away. Yeah. So, um, absolutely works, you know, um, whether you're running it as the catalyst or you're running a cetane product, I think either one, uh, probably works and, and is, in my opinion, it's a necessity. You know, it, it's similar to supplements with me. For years and years and years, I said, don't buy supplements. They're a waste of money. They don't work. I've tested them all. And I started testing mm-hmm. supplements fairly early. I opened a gym when I was 19, mm-hmm. and I went and found a mm-hmm. line of supplements that we would sell at the gym. And, of course, I have to take them and you know mm-hmm. show that they work, and I really couldn't. You know, you you use all the marketing stuff, but honestly, I couldn't prove that this stuff was doing any good. And so that was my first, you know, kind of foray into that. And then over the years, you know, you see these supplements that they'll, you know, advertise nationally on TV. Oh, take this and your brain works so much better. Nothing I ever tried worked. Nothing. Well, there's now I under and now, my God, like 40 percent of our revenue comes from supplement sales. I'm a believer now, but right. I yeah. understand why yep. it didn't work then. Two big reasons. One, you can't out-supplement the standard American diet. It's just so bad that the supplements aren't going to mm-hmm. work. There's just too much going on, too many negatives. And then the other issue was the supplement itself. The, the, the supplements that they're advertising on national TV, and that's usually the stuff I was trying, all the money goes to marketing. Mm-hmm. The product is garbage. Mm-hmm. So you now, you know, once I understood that there was lines of supplements that they don't even sell to the public, you know, you have to get them through a practitioner. So now I tell mm-hmm. people, look, if you're eating the standard American diet, I don't even want to sell you a supplement. Don't buy it. 
You're going to be wasting your money. So you have to change your diet first. If you do and you use the right supplements in the right way, they actually work. But that that was a huge yeah. change for me. Same same kind of thing here. Well, and I think what's really awesome about this, you you went from a very skeptical, non-believing position. You have been around it long enough with that uh, skepticism, but the science kept pointing you in a different direction. And, you know, I've bumped up against this stuff myself. Oh, this really can't be working, and I don't believe it. You keep running it and running it, but yet the results are right. there, there, That's- there. And, and, and then eventually it just becomes like in our case, you know, my brother's got a 20,000 gallon fuel tank out there. Every drop of fuel he buys is treated. He has little cases that all the drivers are issued that have pre-measured doses of fuel treatment. Excellent. It is yeah. an extremely important part of our fleet's operation. And it really helps to drive down that, that fuel cost or the, the maintenance cost. If there's a fuel savings, um, that's just gravy Great, as, right, as far as I'm right. concerned. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, obviously, if you track your fuel mileage long enough over time and you pay attention to that that differential uh, pressure differential rise in the DPF, you will see improved fuel economy as well. Um, if you don't have a DPF on the truck, will you see improved fuel efficiency? I don't think so. It's be very, very hard to, to quantify right. that. But with an emission system, when you're talking that back pressure building up, if you can, you know, reduce that rate of rise, you're going to see better fuel efficiency over time. There's, there's no doubt about it. Yep. All right. So ready to jump into my list? Absolutely. All right. Independent contractor rule. My God. So we have AB5 in California, which is an absolute mess. We have the federal government, which is attempting to pass an AB5 type law. It actually passed the House. It's never been able to pass the Senate yet, uh, which I can't even imagine what that would do to the trucking industry if that were actually to pass nationwide. We have elections coming up. It's one of the reasons I'm talking about this today. You got to think hard about this. But there's another department in the federal government that's also looking at a new independent contractor rule. Well, wait a minute. How many agencies do we have to answer to for this? There's a problem there alone. (laughs) What do you mean you have another federal agency? Well, who do we listen to then? So now all of a sudden, we have the Department of Labor getting involved in this. So we have a bill in Congress that is using the AB5 test We have the Department of Labor writing new rules saying we can't use the ABC test, which is good. They are correct. It should not be used. It's a really bad test. So at least the Department of Labor has recognized that. That, That's a good point. They said, no, we looked at that. We can't do that. That that would be illegal. Well, California did it, so somebody might Mm want to go out and take a look at that. So instead, the Department of Labor is going to come up with its own version. You know who used to write the rules about independent contractors? It was the IRS. The IRS 21 question test is what we've used forever. Now, all of a sudden, we have new laws. The Department of Labor is getting involved. Talk about confusing it. But here is the Department of Labor. I'm going to shrink this down to just their like six factors. This is what they plan on looking Mm -hmm. at. As I read these, think about how complicated this is going to get. 
Now, we're trying to determine whether or not somebody is an independent contractor or whether they should be classified as an employee. That's what we're talking about here. Here's their six factors. The degree of the alleged employer's right to control the manner in which the work is to be performed. I I get that. In trucking, we know that there has to be some control. This is not total no control. It can't be. Let's take FedEx for an example. They're one of the really good examples. They make their drivers wear uniforms. That's a public safety thing for them. You can't have somebody, although Amazon does it, and there's been problems with it already. You, you don't want somebody running up to the door in cutoffs and a, and a wife beater delivering a package. Right. It's just bad all around. So that is FedEx exerting control over an independent contractor, telling them how they have to do a certain part of the job. So what? But that, that they'll look at that and say, oh, no, they're, they're an employee. They're being controlled. It, in truckload freight. You accept a load from the company you're contracted to. What if there's an appointment time? Don't they have to tell you that and tell you you have to be there on time? That's control. But Mm -hmm. so what? Why does that make somebody an employee? It shouldn't. This shouldn't be a huge factor, but it will be in in this plan. Um, The next one. I actually agree with this one. This is a good factor to look at. The worker's opportunity for profit or loss, depending on their managerial skill. That's a good factor to use. So what we're saying is, if we put you in a lease purchase program, but we somehow guarantee that you will make at least 50 cents a mile profit, you're not an independent contractor. Uh, No, I agree. But if you if if your bottom line is controlled by you and your decisions, and even in a lease purchase, that driver has a ton of control over their profit. Less than if they you know own the truck themselves, they still have a ton. And we've proven this over and over. We just talked last week about you know Steve who was making thirteen cents a mile when he was in his lease purchase. Clearly, he had all kinds of risk of not making money. So to me, this is a good factor. Uh, The next one, the worker's investment in equipment or materials required for their task. Absolutely. That's another good one. You should have to have some sort of an investment into this business. Um, Whether the service rendered requires a special skill this might be the stupidest thing in here. What, what is a special skill? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, what, exactly. What, what do you mean? Um, Every <laughs> job requires a special skill. Ditch digging. Uh, you, you have could, to know how to dig to a ditch. That argument. Right. So that is just right. a stupid, that should just be thrown out completely. Um Here's another one. The degree of permanence of the working relationship. Who cares? I don't care if I pulled two loads for this company or 2,000. Why does that matter? Yeah, I don't, it, whether I'm contracted to them for two days or 25 years, why does that matter? 
Yeah, it I, I agree. Shouldn't have anything to do with this. The and the last one, the extent to which the service rendered is an integral part of the alleged employer's business. The problem with this is the Department of Labor just said, we can't use the ABC test. It's unconstitutional. They were right. They admitted it. But But guess what they're doing here? They're Uh pulling in the B part of the ABC (laughs) test. Right. (sighs) Right. Right. Yep. That's what what I was going to (laughs) say. Could we make a bigger mess out of this? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I agree. It is, it is a mess. It's going to continue to be a mess. Um, yeah, I, am really torn on a lot of this stuff as well. I, I, I do see it from, from the company driver standpoint on, you know, how we're paid in the industry. You know, there, there's no overtime. It's by the miles Is it actual miles Is it calculated miles. You know, a, a lot of times the company drivers are taken advantage of. There's no doubt about that. I also see it from the independent or the owner operators uh, point of view on this and from the, the fleet's perspective on this. Um, you know, my, my brother, he will not, he will not run an, an owner operator in his operation. He just won't do it. Um, I think he probably falls a little bit closer to the, to the government in terms of, you know, a lot of these, these lease uh, programs and stuff. They're taking advantage of people and, and he just doesn't want the headache. He doesn't want to get involved in that. And he just prefers to keep it a straight up employee situation. There's, I think there's that's no, smart. yeah, there's no blur. There's no bl- blurred middle ground there. <laughs> right. Very, very, um, very, very outspoken about that. Um, we've had guys that have come over. Hell, I don't even have my truck leased or on with plover transportation. Right. You know, I, I got my right. own authority and, and doing my own thing. And, and, uh, I, I think he's right. I, I mean, I think he's a hundred percent right where, where he's coming from. Um, although, you know, most fleets do it. There's a lot of them Here's- programs out there. A, a lot of, a lot of drivers have been stung by this and you know exactly how do we handle this? I don't here's, know. I, I, here's where I fall I, on. I, this I think issue. the way that truck drivers are paid, uh, company drivers, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's criminal, but man, it, it's, it sucks. It's horrible. It the, sucks. the way that yeah. we've been paid and treated since deregulation. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. yeah. So here's the way, you know, I look at this. Your brother made a business decision. I think it's a smart one, but that doesn't even matter. My point is, I should be able to make those business decisions without so much interference from the government. I, even down to the I, I driver agree. level, I don't think there is anybody even close to how outspoken I've been about lease purchase plans. I don't think there's anybody who has criticized them more than I have for 25 years. And yet, I don't want to see them go away. I look at it and go, you know what? That's a legal arrangement. There's nothing really wrong with that. Now, the end result might suck. I get that. But as, as consumers or business people, we can make all kinds of bad decisions. That's all right. We should be free to make bad decisions. I don't want the government telling me what a good decision is for me or not. So my point has been, you know, I, those plans suck. Yeah. They do take advantage of people. But I think the answer isn't the government. The answer is, let's just educate people so they can make a better decision. I, I, 
don't disagree with you. I, I think that you're, you're making a very valid point. I think the problem that we've run into as an industry since deregulation is that those types of programs have become so prevalent and so many people have been beat up by them that we're just in that position of the whole entire supply chain is compromised because of our, of our pay structure. And I, whether that's a government solution or just more education, we need to fix that. Um, who, who, in the, who in the hell in the right mind wants to really get into trucking unless you just absolutely love to drive? I mean, that's, that's why I'm here. It wasn't <laughs> right. because I made an absolute killing. That's, yeah, right. that's for damn sure. Now, um, so now, it, let me, we let, need to address this. Let, let yeah. me throw in one more thing, especially in the last couple of years. Because of the way wages have changed, and I'm not—I still don't like the way drivers are paid. We we could make a much much better system, but there is one other big reason to come to driving, even if it's not just that you love driving, and it is probably one of the higher paying jobs you're ever going to get without a high school diploma if you don't even have one. We have to remember that we hire people with almost zero qualifications, and. We pay them, I think, actually, in the beginning, we pay them pretty decent. I think we probably pay them better than anything else they would get in any other industry with no skills. The problem is that almost never changes. 25 years later, they're still making the same amount, basically. Uh, that, 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 is, that is true. The, the other part of this that we don't talk a whole lot about, and which I kind of have really started to see clearly in my mind and, and feel free to beat me up on this if, if you think I'm way <laughs> off base, but I, I, I see this, our transportation, our supply chain, the way it has evolved since deregulation is we are extremely efficient and we are extremely cost effective. And it's just really opened the door to the big, box stores to buy everything in China and overseas. We can bring stuff into the, the port of LA or long beach and we can, you know, transport them all over the country. And it's, it's really had an impact on, you know, the, the small manufacturers that used to be so prevalent across the United States. They just can't compete because we have such cheap um, transportation. And when you look at this in the bigger picture, it creates almost a national security issue because we become so dependent upon China for everything because we have this very, very cheap way to transport goods everywhere. And um, it's problematic so, as well when you really so, start to look at the big picture. So, uh, it, this, you know, you it's know, just one problem stacked on top of another. You won't get an argument from me. I'm not going to beat you up on that. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I Absolutely, that, that's happening. Did you ever read? I know I've been talking about it. Did you read the book, The End of the World? You had, you had talked about it, and I got it started on stuff, yeah, and I just got so slammed busy. It, go listen <laughs> to it. Time to do go listen too much to of it, anything, but yeah. He takes that idea a giant step further. Not only have we made transportation mm -hmm. so cheap in our country, you're right, it, it creates things like what you were explaining, but transportation around the world, mm -hmm. 
has become so cheap that we have this crazy complicated supply chain where, you know, a thousand different parts get shipped into one place to make stuff and then all that stuff gets shipped back out and we we move one part around six different times to get it modified in different way. We have this crazy complicated supply chain because we can. Because it's cheap. We can move all this stuff right. around. Um, but the, the idea behind that book is that that's over. That's not going to happen anymore. And here's an interesting thing. Well, one, and, of, and, one of my headlines today that I wanted to talk about, I'll jump into it now. It, here's the headline. Global trade at the crossroads. Risks from geopolitics and inflation loom. We're not going to be able to ship this stuff all well, around the world anymore. It, and to to your point here, and I'm not going to name any names, but um, you know I work with a lot of component suppliers, and this is from a competitive supplier that I work with. So, um, you remember the the thing with the that big Ukrainian steel mill over there that the Russians were bombing the hell out of, and everybody was held up in the underground catacombs yeah, right. of this huge steel yeah. mill. Yeah. Well, the steel mill happened to supply this component manufacturer that made components in Italy that came over here when as a piece of the component and they're just not able to supply because you know, the Russians bombed the hell out of the steel mill. And so uh, uh, one of the component manufacturers that were making things here in in America, you know, they, they really are going to pick up a lot of business because they, they traditionally have been more expensive and it's kind of limited their market penetration, but now businesses really have to look at that. You know, are they in an area where maybe it's going to get bombed tomorrow and they're <laughs> right. not going to be able to supply? Supply. So, I mean, it just keeps getting more difficult and more difficult. But, um, uh, you know, there's, there is a national security component to keeping stuff on shore, no doubt about it. We're, we learned about that with with you know drugs and and personal safety protection and and all that stuff uh, you know we so, we we just can't offshore everything and you know expect it to be you know just peaches and cream all the time it's just not going to happen we're going to run into these logistical yep. nightmares that we've been seeing because and, we're so heavily dependent on foreign supply chains and our supply chain around the world is way too complicated and the more complicated something is, is the more you know challenging it is to try to solve all the problems or figure out what they're going to be my next headline here's something else about our supply chain i don't think anybody saw coming so and this is here within our supply chain um just recently let me go find this again um what was last week? When was this article written? The article was written yesterday. So last week, um, listen to this. Low water levels and dredging shuttered barge traffic heading north and south on the Mississippi last week. At one point, more than 100 towboats and 2,000 barges were stuck waiting. Wow. We don't have enough water in wow. the Mississippi. Ain't that crazy? Yeah. That is crazy. That is crazy. Wow. And we move, what was yeah, the, I, we move like uh, mm-hmm. 60% of the grain and 54% of the soybeans for export are moved by barge on the Mississippi. Yep. 
that's going to impact the agricultural exports. No doubt about that. Yep. Wow. I, I, I heard they were having some issues, but I didn't realize it was, it was to that extent. That's, uh, that's pretty incredible, really, when you stop think about it. it. Well, doesn't this sound like what we were talking about a year and a half ago with the ports in L.A.? Yeah. Except this yeah. one. Yeah, everything's stacked up and waiting. And, except yeah. this one, I don't know how we fix this. I, um, well, you know, it's going to get blamed on climate change, of course. Uh, what, what are sure. we going to do? It's not like we can start pumping more water into the Mississippi. Right, right. No, I, I, I hear you. That's uh, that's a challenge for sure. Yeah. That's pretty amazing, actually. Yeah. All right. Well, so moving. And then, and then, of course, we have the the railroad thing also yeah. again. I, it looked like. I don't know. Have they... Uh, they oh, figured anything out on that? Yeah, yet? actually, they did. I talked about this yesterday. Uh, the government kind of stepped mm-hmm. in and said, no, you can't go on strike. You have to negotiate. And so they negotiated, and the union came back with a deal, and the employees said no. <laughs> so now what? Uh-huh. So there's another <laughs> deadline that they're trying to, you know, say, oh, let's take another two weeks and try. But there's still a possibility that this is going to end up in a strike. Yeah. Um, supply chain, you know, I, I'm still old enough and obviously you are where you can remember Northern Ohio, every single little town had several manufacturing oh, plants absolutely. making widgets here and yeah. you know, stuff that all that stuff's gone it basically. Yeah. I, I mean, on occasion, Everybody used to work in a factory for the most part. You graduated from high school. You never had to move. You went right out of high school. You retired from a factory with a pension and really didn't have to worry about much. You know, that that just doesn't happen anymore. You know, especially in that part of the country. Now we're kind of... That, that, yeah, that, that was huge yeah, that, around us. That yes. was that was it. I mean, you're right. Yeah. If you didn't go to college or have some other specific career you were after, you were probably working in a factory. Yeah. What was very unique about the area that, that we're in here in, in kind of northwestern Ohio was not only did the majority of people work in a factory, but they were farmers on top of it. And oh, yeah. My particular yeah. area, you know, from Sandusky westward – very well to do for small towns, very, very well to do from, you know, the mid fifties to the mid nineties. Right. right. Now this area has just been decimated. Yep. I mean, it's, it's just horrible to see what's happened to this, to this area of the country. But, uh, you know, you know this all goes back to this very, very cheap, uh, transportation that we have. You know, here's something interesting about that part of the country. I talk about real estate a lot. That is still, and has been for a long time, one of the most depressed areas for real estate prices. Um, We had a house there. Uh, We sold, I don't know, Mm -hmm. 10 years ago or whatever. Um, 20, almost 3,000, I think it was about 3,000 square feet, five bathrooms, big, Mm -hmm. big lot, Mm -hmm. you know, almost an acre. Mm that thing sold, and we're only talking 10 years ago. 10 years ago, real estate prices were still pretty strong. Um, that thing sold for like 170000 I'm yeah, looking. Yeah, I'm, that's, that's pretty. I'm looking, pretty normal. <laughs> I'm looking across the street at a house for sale. It's about 2,200 square feet, I think. I was just overlooking at it, talking to the mm-hmm. builder. It's about 2,200 square feet, no lot. These are basically zero lot lines. 
you have five feet mm-hmm. from the side of your house to your yeah. property line. Five feet. That's it. No front yard to speak of just enough to have a driveway and really nothing in the back. There's zero lot mm-hmm. lines. Now, this is a nice house. He did. It's not builder grade. He upgraded almost everything on it. But it's a small house on a small lot. It's on the market mm-hmm. right now for $780,000. Yeah, see, sitting here in Ohio, we look at that and we just shake our head. And I go, know. How is that even possible? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, it's just nuts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. So and it's just normal, normal out in your area. You know, you just look at that and go, yeah, 700 I, grand I, per ounce. It's just, I know. just how it is. And I just, yeah. uh, I'm just blown away by that. Stuff. Yeah. It's, in, it's <laughs> insane. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it is. It absolutely is. But, uh, All right. yeah, the, the, the heartland here, Chicago to Buffalo, you know, that area in between there, the industrial heartland. Yeah. We, we just, just were, absolutely decimated by this yes. stuff. So I am kind of torn on this regulation stuff. Um, I am not a government regulation guy, but I can see where just from a national security standpoint, something needs to be done. Um, I, I guess maybe it comes to a point where you can get so efficient that it actually works against you. And maybe that's what's happened with our transportation it, here. We've, we've just got so damn good and yeah. so efficient you know, that it, it really has created some problems that nobody really thought about. You know, it's, it's, it's no different than the Walmart model. You know, people will bash Walmart, but everybody loves to run in and grab something cheap and you know it's going to be there because they always have everything in stock and they carry so much stuff. And, but, but that model was nothing but a race to the bottom. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we did in that's trucking. Exactly it was right. just a race to the bottom. With without the transportation system, Walmart doesn't exist. Right. They they just couldn't. Yeah. You know everything well, that, would be way too expensive. That, that would be a very very high end store. <laughs> yeah, well, and that that's what you know they will claim was Walmart's secret sauce. They were so good at distribution. That's what made. That's why they were able to sell things so cheap. I, uh, because they figured out how to move things really cheap. And so when you get the big box stores and, and Amazon and, and these folks that understand that their very business model is based on this ultra, ultra efficient transportation system, you know, you just got to wonder, you know, how many people have they hired to go into D.C. to lobby oh, yeah. um, to, to keep the, the status quo. And, and, and so, um, I, you know, the business side of me, like you says, Hey, look, it's business. This is the way it goes. But then you stop and look at some other things. So I, I really, this issue. I'm well, not, sometimes I don't even know which way I'm turning on it. You know why I think we're torn because I think both of us believe in capitalism, but this isn't capitalism. And it, because of what you just said, the lobbyists, this is now crony capitalism. Mm-hmm. That changes the whole game. Mm-hmm. I do not believe in our it system does. the way it is. And and the problem I, is we yeah, have to get I, I don't we have to get the right, government yes. out of everything because that's what creates crony capitalism. When lobbyists are mm-hmm. able to pay off politicians, that's what creates this because we've given the government so much control over everything that lobbyists now can create advantages. It, and that's what's got to stop. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and, you know, it's across the board. 
Um, when we just take deregulation, for example, you know, Jimmy Carter's the one that started deregulation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Reagan doubled down on it. You know, so it's both sides. <laughs> it's not well, just it a, is. And, a Republican and, or a Democratic look, I, issue here. It's, it's, I, I yeah. will be the first one to say, though, I'm not sure we ever needed regulation. We might have. It was a very different world. The whole point of it, we we financially regulated industries that the thought was it's too expensive to try to get that industry across the country. It, it, it's just it would take too much money and there's too much risk. So the government said we'll control that risk by only allowing certain people into the industry. We'll control supply and demand by controlling the supply. So airlines, utilities and trucking were the big ones. You know, mm-hmm. how much money would it take in the 1950s to start an airline where you could fly somebody to every major city? It's outrageous. Right. No, I. I, Same thing with trucking. Trucking was so expensive back then. I mean, it was outrageously expensive to move something by truck in the beginning. So we we put in, like I said, I'm not sure if we needed it. We, we might have. Same with utilities. You expect a company to string lines to every house in the country? There, there has to be some financial incentive there. So that's what regu- financial right. regulation was all about. Well, by the time we got to the 80s, I agree it all should have been deregulated. It wasn't necessary anymore. Now we can have true and open competition. And if it was true competition, I'd be all for it. But it's not anymore because of all the lobbyists in the government. Right. Right. So, right. No, I, I agree. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree. All right. Let's move on to some more fun stuff. What do you think? Sure. All right. So trying to figure out how I want to set this up and tie it all together. So when we talk about all the problems going on in the world, and right now we're, you know, kind of focusing on the supply chain problems, which is big. That's inflation. That's, I mean, that's, that's a big, big deal. Um, we look at other problems here in this country or around the world. Censorship. Yeah, this is a big one for me. Um, you know, the First Amendment, we're supposed to be allowed to say whatever we want. That's changed in this country. We know it's changed. People have lost their jobs over what they've said. They've lost contracts and businesses over what they've said. Well, who, who's really driving many of these problems that we talk about? So we have the supply chain issues. We've got the school issues, CRT. We've got the medical issues with the vaccine. Who... Who's kind of driving all of this agenda? It's the the politicians, the CEOs of these big companies. So I've got a I've got a uh, a theory here. You'll probably remember this mm-hmm. movie. Um, here's what I think's going on here. All these problems we're facing in the world right now. It's revenge of the nerds, <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I think uh, your analogy there is, is pretty close. You know, I, I see this as when you look back into history and, and you saw how royalty dominated Europe and you had, the uh, 
the royal class and the peasants. I see the same thing going on here. And now it's just you're uh, instead of a king or a queen, you're a congressman or, a, you know, you're in the Senate and you're trying to preserve your power. And uh, so, yeah, it's similar, I guess. Yeah, I think it's I think it's the real life version of Revenge of the Nerds. Um, <laughs> here's another one that just makes me insane. I can't believe we're doing this. And and one of the people who I think has to be insanely brilliant, Elon Musk. Come on, we can't argue that the guy's some freak of nature, right? When it comes to brain power. He's a pretty intelligent guy, right? Oh, there's no doubt. He is doing one of the stupidest things I can imagine right now. And so are a bunch of other celebrities. The celebrities don't surprise me. Elon Musk doing this (laughs) surprises me. So have you ever seen the... um, they, I, if you've ever turned on a TV, I have to believe you've seen this at some point. The commercial for the diabetic drug Ozempic. Sure. All over sure. the place, yep. right? Another highly mm-hmm. toxic diabetic drug. It tends to be one of the diabetic drugs that's used when nothing else is working anymore. So that tells us mm-hmm. something. It has to be even more yep. extreme than all of the other drugs, right? <laughs> Yeah, even more toxic. Correct. We've given this person metformin. That wasn't enough. We gave him glipizide. That wasn't enough. We gave him on and on and on. Now we've run out of options. Okay, let's give him some Ozempic because this seems to work in extreme cases of diabetics. They have a disease. I get it. I understand why they're taking it. There are far better answers, Mm -hmm. but I at least understand why they're taking it. They followed their doctor's advice. They never really bothered to even attempt to change their diet. They've been through multiple drugs. Now we're going to try Ozempic. You know what Elon Musk and celebrities are doing? You're going to have to tell me. (laughs) They are taking Ozempic for weight loss. Oh, my God. Well, let's take arsenic for a while. Exactly. Come on. Holy cow, meth, meth works. You know, wow. I see yeah, all kinds of people go. lose weight on meth, and it's a whole lot more fun, right? If yeah, you're going to take a toxic... by the Dental Association, right, too. Exactly. <laughs> if you're going to take a toxic drug to lose weight, you might as well have some fun with it. Holy shit. <laughs> I guess so. Oh my gosh. Take it uh, to lose weight. Can wow. you believe this is a big thing? Wow. This is becoming a really big thing. There's, no there's, kidding. I, yeah, I haven't o- heard anything about o- it. Ozempic oh. is the most popular, but there are two, at least two other drugs that work exactly the same. They're in that same drug class. And all of them. Uh-huh. People are, are just going to their doctor to get prescription. And, and who are the doctors writing these prescriptions? <laughs> well, this is just off-label, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it, wow. Ca- wow. California wow. just passed a law that they can pull a doctor's mm-hmm. license now for spreading misinformation. California mm-hmm. passed a law like that. Well, wait a minute. Because most of the doctors we've seen on TV for the last three years, Fauci, Burks, all of them, they have spread far more misinformation <laughs> yes. than anybody. 
<laughs> and we can prove it. They got it right, didn't they? Yeah, we can prove it now. It's easy to prove. So here we have a state that's uh, saying, if we don't like what a doctor says, we'll pull his license. But yet we have doctors writing prescriptions of toxic drugs to people who don't have that disease just so they can lose weight. That's, that's it's it's nuts. I mean, you probably shouldn't even be using it for what it was intended exactly, for. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's All nuts. right. So there's my Friday list. Awesome. All right. <laughs> it was depressing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I don't like to be a depressing <laughs> guy, show. but I know it's. Uh, <laughs> Let's get depressed on Fridays. Exactly. All right. It's getting hard not to. But at least we can laugh about it, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's it's stuff that you know we need to we need to throw out there and we need to talk about. And you know, a lot of this obviously impacts transportation. What we talked about, so. Absolutely. At least, uh, I guess other people are doing crazier stuff than what's happened in the transportation <laughs> industry. So we're, we're not completely crazy, I guess. That's right. Uh, All right. What do you say we take some calls? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Let's go to Wyoming. Brent, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing? I, uh, I, I, I work uh, Sunday through Thursday, so I have never listened to the Friday show until I found your podcast, and now I can listen at will, but Good. I'm calling from the house today. Okay. Um, I guess I, I, I heard a few back episodes, and, and uh, Joel's numbers are, are very much impressive. Um, and the numbers I had heard before during the week were not on this show – uh, were usually light loads and stuff like that. And one, one of them was 2,500 pounds. And I'm like, gee, I could take my pickup and do that load. Um, but, but that hey, did hey, not impress me. Hey, hey, hold on Just a second. Okay. Hey, I, I do want to address that because I'm glad that you're at least impressed with his new numbers, but you should have been just impressed with the old numbers. That idea that, oh, well, he got 12 miles to the gallon because he was, you know, really light. Most trucks can't bobtail at 12 miles to the gallon. No, I'm not saying I could match that. I'm, Correct. I'm just saying it does, yeah. didn't impress me. Didn't <laughs> okay. Impress. Well, I guess you're hard to like, impress. Like <laughs> I was impressed. Uh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, I, I guess what what I haven't gone back either further far enough to listen to, or you haven't discussed at all. Uh, I, I pull heavy through the Rockies. Tell me what, what weight. I run an older truck. Tell, hold on. Tell me what weight. 112. Okay. 112. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a train. I got, I got 17 feet between my trailers that I can't close up. Um, and, and so I'm kind of stuck aerodynamically uh, where I'm at. And I'm, I'm running an older, I'm running this uh, D-Deck 4 Series 60. And the only option I can see at this point that I have not done would be to re-gear, but I'm reluctant to re-gear so hold on a due second. to startability. Hold on. Let, let's talk about the truck itself then. Give me all the specs first. Okay. It's a, it's a Western Star 4900. Not exactly aerodynamic, but very comfortable. Um, 
60 series, 500 horse, uh, factory rated. Uh, I've got the Pittsburgh power box, the mufflers, the uh, manifold, the turbo, the fleet air. I do not have a fast or an air dog yet. Um, low pro 22 fives. Uh, they're, they're, I, uh, they're, I forget the rolling resistance number. They're uh, BF Goodrich for, let's see, they made two. One's really terrible on rolling resistance. One's really good. I think the 454 is the good one and the 444 is the bad one. But I have the one that's good on rolling resistance. Okay. And let's let's see. uh, I I guess that's about it on the truck. What gear ratio? Uh, I don't think you said it. I don't remember hearing it. Three. Uh, 370. Okay. Three, 370 with a 13 speed double over. So here's. And the, the, the truck contour matches the trailers. It's not like I have a trailer sticking up high. They're high yeah, right, bottom. Right. So the truck contour matches the trailers. And, but the trailers are outside ribbed. What part of the country and do you I, spend I most of your time top, in? Uh, North Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, Idaho. Okay. So one of the problems here, um, we could talk about regearing. It's pretty expensive. We may be able to, no, we could improve this truck. My issue would be we just started with the wrong truck. Well, I've had it's it for the, 22 years. No, I, I, I get it, to, but it, that doesn't mean it's the right truck. I mean, if I were, I have to believe if you were to sit down and we were to say, let's design a truck to pull 112,000 pounds through the Rockies, we would never end up with this truck. Right. And I didn't start off to do this. I started out. I, I get it. I, I get it. But yeah, but so, but. And, and when, I, when I bought the truck, fuel was $1.20 a gallon. I, I understand all those things. It has almost nothing to do with today. Today, we should look at this and say, is this the right truck for this job? And should we dump more money into it or should we go spec the right truck? If it were me, I wouldn't put another penny into this truck. Other than if I just decided to keep it and keep it running. Now, I might throw on a fast or an air dog. Uh, There were a couple other little things you said in there that we might be able to address. They're not going to make any big difference. I, I just think we've got the wrong truck. And I think you're throwing money so, at something that isn't worth investing in. I've got one thing that could potentially have a nice impact for you. How many axles are actually on the ground with this thing? Seven. So one of the things that I learned and learned the hard way was this, this whole bearing adjustment thing. And you know, I still remember the first time I'd mentioned something about it and Kevin jumped all over me for it. <laughs> He's like, oh, there's no way, you know. And so, so we, we threw some data out there. If, if you have the preset or the preset plus hubs in there, um, you may want to seriously consider finding a place that does the doctor preload. I, I find this time and again where even with them spacer cones, the adjustment is too tight on the wheel bearing and it absolutely kills you fuel mileage wise. And there's no way to really make that determination. Um, and if you're running the old style where you're running that end play 
and play costs you fuel efficiency as well because you got a little bit of wobble in there. The the bearings aren't really quite aligned in the race the way they're supposed to be. You should be at a repeatable, definable end play setting on bearings. Um, I know alignment guys will sometimes tell you it doesn't make any difference, and it may not on the alignment, but I can tell you it will impact your fuel efficiency. There's no doubt. Now, you may get into it, and every one of them may be right. You may find four or five that are not. Um, It's just very hard to say, and that's one of the bitches I've always had about the, the way we do wheel bearings. There's no way to verify if that is adjusted correctly and it's that it's repeatable to the same value without doing it again um, so I'm, right. I'm a big what, right my, right I, i'm a big believer in the dr preload system my question mm-hmm. here though are what these, these, these dr preload dr preload okay. so i have i would believe these are company trailers though right Yes, I'm a power only. Yeah, so now we have to convince a company to do this and do this right. (laughs) Um, Good luck. Yeah, Yeah, good luck. It it doesn't benefit them at all. I was going to try and get them to put the air tabs at least on the back of the lead. If not on the back of both of Look, them, I, I, um, we're 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 chasing the outside. What's your fuel economy? I don't even think we ever talked about that yet. Uh, I've actually gotten it up to five point four. Okay, so I, I'm the guy that always says when you're really low, we should be doing everything we can to make it better because because the gain is bigger. Your gain at five miles to the gallon is actually double what Joel's would be at ten miles to the gallon. So it's a whole different calculation when we're looking at this but in this case i just think we're starting with the wrong truck and we're going to be chasing such minute amounts putting air tabs on the trailer i I don't know that anybody has you know promoted air tabs more than i have but i'm not gonna think that you know putting some air tabs on these these trailers is going to do much good the the aerodynamics are so ugly back there with two hopper bottoms and big gaps and i, I and just ribs yep. yeah i just think that you're we're, we're throwing money at things that so let's say we pick up two tents i that's fine i guess it was a great investment but wouldn't we rather be running around at six and a half to seven which i think is possible in this operation with the right truck uh how would the how would the right truck be spec'd i mean i'm not i only have seven years more doing this and i i don't do this because i enjoy it i then, do it because it makes me money then um there, but i don't then, i'm not not I, real keen I, on buying a new truck but well, I'll i get, look i gave you two options and keep that in mind i said keep this one just don't throw a bunch of money at it i just don't think it's worth it if you want to keep it and say look if i've you're got seven money years, just keep doing right, what exactly, you're doing yeah right right Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Don't I mean, get hung I, up. So you're not in a you're not else. in a duty cycle that's conducive to fuel efficiency here. And if if and this is one of the times, and I can't believe I hear myself saying this. If your rate's good enough, <laughs> exactly. you know, with what just, you're doing, just run. right? Yeah, you're. It, 
you're in one of those rare, rare circumstances where, you know, I, that, that, that would be my recommendation. You only have seven years left. You know, if you had 20 years left exactly. and, right. and you, you know, I, I would really consider making that switch, but you don't, you're not gonna, there's no magic pill here. That's going to take you from five to seven. It's just not going to happen. Um, uh, write it out. If you're making money, my, write it out and don't worry about it. You don't need my, to stress. My guess is we'd I'm have awesome. to we'd have to spend ten thousand dollars or more just to get you to six. And I'm not sure we would see all the people yeah. I've talked I've all the people that I've talked to that are doing a similar operation, I'm getting the best fuel mileage. I I, I don't doubt that. I, I, I don't doubt that, but but let's go back to the truck you did build. Other than aerodynamics, this truck is not built bad at all. It, it's just it's it's at its limit that, and you you are beyond limits. You're pulling heavier weights in a more extreme cycle. So this truck did excellent for what it is, but it's not going to do any better. One of the things I think is important here is that you have benchmarked against people that are in your duty cycle. What you're bumping up against is you're looking at what I'm doing in a completely different duty cycle and you're going, damn, I wish I could do it's, it's not realistic. Right. Um, and so that, that I, I benchmarking. Would never <laughs> Right, right. No, your benchmarking is very important because you just you just gave yourself the answer to your question here. You're doing better than everybody <laughs> right. else you benchmarked against. Right. I, I, I would not stress out about this. I would not worry about it. You've got seven years left. You're comfortable with the truck that you have. Run it. Be happy. I'd be running around with a big old smile on my face. It's all Kevin's fault because Kevin keeps <laughs> keeps saying it's six point eight is the is the average. That's pitiful. That's terrible. And it's like, wait a minute, you better include me in that average. It's hey, like you've got to include hey, me. Hey, Brent, I'm no, Brent, no, when, Brent, come on. How many times have <laughs> have you heard us talk to Paul and we get all excited if he's anywhere near six because he's a car hauler? Yeah, when you yeah when. When yeah, people talk I've, about I've national average, like, yeah, when people talk about that national average, remember that is based on general van freight, which the average weight 65,000 pounds, and you're pretty damn aerodynamic. And, that does not include any of the special stuff like, like you're doing here. And you're on the level 90% of the time. Right. With if you average out freight, the whole country, yeah, right? Uh, right, and you're in a yeah, windy area, and you're in a cold area. Right. So, yeah, you're, you're doing just fine. I don't have a. Le- I I I would always listen to Bruce, and he would say, "Well, what, how many pounds of boost you pull on the level?" And I'm like, "Okay, I, I, there's one spot on my route that is level," and I'm like, "Okay," and amazing, I'm, I'm the same weight going both directions, and so it's like going going westbound. I'm pulling 18 pounds, but going eastbound, I'm doing seven pounds or eight pounds of boost. So it's hey, not really level after all. Hey, Brent, Brent. Yep. So if, if that bothers uh-huh. you when you hear Bruce talking about boost on the level, um, that's not an end-all be-all. It's one factor we can look at. Let me give you a great example why it doesn't always work. At 40,000 pounds total weight on my coach, I require almost 20 pounds of boost on the level to maintain 60 miles an hour. 
And that's a, that's wow. a brick going through the window. No, it's not. No, it's really not. That coach is pretty damn aerodynamic. Think about it. Other than the front end, which is somewhat rounded, they've done a pretty nice job of smoothing some of those edges out. And the rest of the coach is pretty damn clean. I don't have gaps to deal with at all. You have multiple gaps. I don't have any gaps. I don't have, other than my mirrors, almost nothing sticks out from the body on that coach. It's pretty smooth. You just have that wonderful Allison automatic that you're pumping oil around with. And, and we can't look at, there's another huge factor here. We can't look at boost the same. It's, a, it's an ACERT. The twin turbos create all kinds of boost. So we, we have to realize that, you know, some of these, you know, benchmarks we use or some of these things we say, it's not across the board. And I want to talk about this call specifically. I do not want anybody taking this call as general advice. Joel, you and I are not giving the standard answer that we would normally give <laughs> yeah. you, right? We took, no, we took I, I would, all of those factors probably, into account. Right. I would maybe one in a thousand people, you would <laughs> right. hear me say, just run it. it right. <laughs> I, it's right. generally not going to come out of my mouth. This is, so, this is a unique situation with a unique duty cycle. And, um, you know, he, he is one of the rare occasions where, you know, it just makes sense. And he, he and benchmarked even, it. And right. they, they know that, that's something that I think is super important because we always have guys calling here with fuel efficiency and, you know, they're saying, oh, I'm getting this or I'm getting that. It's really, really important, especially when you get into a specialized duty cycle that you are benchmarking against other fleets or other owner operators that are doing the same thing. Because if you're not, you cannot just right. like, like this guy's done, you know, he's looking at that 6.8. Oh, that's where I should be. No, right. <laughs> no, 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 no. Right. For general, general freight, pretty easy. I mean, you don't really need to benchmark because the numbers, because that's that's the biggest segment by far in the industry. You know, NACV's got very accurate numbers that you can use to benchmark your performance against. Um, like this gentleman's duty cycle, you're not going to go to NACV and, and get any decent information to benchmark against. Right. So it's very important if you're in a, in a heavy haul or a unique duty cycle that you're benchmarking. So your numbers and your thought process is realistic. Um, you know, this guy's never getting to 10. It's, he ain't getting to nine. <laughs> right. Um, it's, right. it's just, I'd be happy it's with just six. not I'm, I'm, right. I'm happy. Exactly. And if you're doing better than anybody else in the, in the group that you associate that, with, that's incredible. Happy. Exactly. You know? That that's incredible. Yeah. Well, I, I know one guy had 370s and he regeared the 342s, and he's not happy with that. And another guy oh, well, went well, from 336s, 370s, and he's not happy with that. That's because they don't know what the hell they're doing. They're just randomly picking one number and thinking <laughs> that they're going to. You might as well just throw a dart at a dartboard to figure out what to do next. That 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 it makes no so, sense what they did. Yeah, Kevin, remember the training session we went through, there is a calculation called tractive effort. And you can actually take the ratio that you're running right now, figure out the tractive effort, and then you can take a ratio that you might be considering 
and you can figure out the attractive effort mathematically, and it's going to be spot on. There's there's no there's no games it, or magic here. No, it's it's going to tell you if it's going to work. Right, or it's not. physics. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. It's, it's math and physics. Yeah. So, and, you know, you you see some of the things that we're doing with these very aggressive downspread rate downspread ratios, and what we learned was. We have the traditional ratio, and let, let's say it goes down to, uh, to 355. And then we went, you know, the, the 342s down to like 264, and some guys were happy, some weren't. Um, when you do the tractive effort on a lot of those, it's very duty cycle dependent. Um, where we get into more versatility is when we actually get even faster than that, like the new iTorque spec, because now we can use the gears and the transmission to change that tractive effort calculation to match your duty cycle. Yep. And that's the only reason you'd want to do it. You don't have a transmission that would provide the startability that you need. So there's no sense even thinking about re-gear. trying to do right. that. It's, it's just not going to work. Yep. If, we, if we wanted to re-gear your truck and, and make it drivable, we'd have to spend fifteen to $20,000. Because it would require a transmission and differentials. Yeah. And there aren't really yeah, that yeah, many was, good I transmission really options. Not well, with the, a manual. The 18, there's I think, not. has a, yep. a deeper low. The 18 speed has a deeper first, you know, a low gear than what mine does. And so I'd have to go to an 18 if I were to go much over 340. Even, you know, if I were to go to a e- taller gear e- than a 340, I'd have to go to that 18 speed. Even those aren't low enough. Even if you go to an 18 speed, they're, they're not low enough to nope. do what you really want to do. And, and what you, in order to make that truck really perform, you'd need a 2.16 or 2.05. And you need about 38 to one reduction to get the startability that you need. Then you can run in overdrive. If you're empty, you can run in direct drive. You can run in underdrive at highway speed. You know, all the things that the iTorque can do today, you're just simply not going to do with a manual transmission. It's, it's, it, it's not going to happen. You see the new technologies. You hear about these gear ratio changes. Uh, honestly, you are probably right where you need to be with the limitations that you have in that engine design and that transmission design. You're not yeah. really going to downspeed the heck out of that thing and be successful. Okay. All you know, right. if you were I just, I, I, if, if you were thirty years old, I'm just willing. To, I'm just willing to try. Looking, yeah, I'm to, willing to try, but I need I need time, and I don't have it. And, and that's really, and that's a <laughs> that is a factor we took into account. I was just going to say, if you were thirty years old, you came to us and said, "Look, I I, I get it. A new truck's expensive, but I'm going to maximize my profit long term." Joel and I would have fun specking a truck to do this, and we would break sure. records. I'm sure we would. That's you're just not in that situation where that makes sense. There's too much risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be happy here. We're saving you some money. You don't have to go through all this headache of trying to re-engineer your truck. There's a lot yeah. of math and a lot now, of bullshit involved trying now, to figure all this stuff out. So. Now, having said yeah. all this, it never hurts to go back to your fleet and see if they'll put air tabs on and adjust all the wheel bearings. Can't hurt to ask. Yeah, I can, I'll do that. And it's not that big of an outfit. So, I mean, we're talking maybe he, here's 30 how, sets of trailers. Here's how I, I would approach it with them. I might even, see, I'm a risk taker. Here's exactly how I would approach it with them. I would say, look, I've done the research. 
I looked at our operation, and one of the places we could probably make significant gains in fuel economy is in wheel bearing adjustment. And you can show them some of the data and some of the science. Then I would, I would throw a challenge at them. I would say, if you'll pay to adjust the wheel bearings on mine and show them your current fuel mileage numbers and how you're tracking it, the challenge would be, you pay for this first trailer, the one I'm pulling, if we see a gain, and the gain needs to cover the cost in, let's say, six months, whatever it costs us to adjust all these wheel bearings, we need to break even in at least six months, and it's probably going to be less. If that happens, then why wouldn't you as a fleet just do all of your trailers and keep them this way? If it doesn't happen, if we don't get the gain, I'll, I'll reimburse you for this trailer. That's what I would go to the fleet with. They have no risk. Well, we're getting ready to transition yeah. to winter blend, winter blend fuel now, so I'd have to wait a month or two until that, my fuel mileage stabilized. Th- and that could fuel. be a factor. This is a, a bad time of the year. We could start seeing cold weather in that part of the world, which would really have a big impact. So, yeah, timing would be important on this. I would Honestly, I would wait till spring because then we might be able to take advantage of the opposite. We might get, you know, a little extra bump as right. things get better. But I, I would present it that way to them they have no risk i'm asking you to put out some money but if it doesn't work i'll reimburse you if it does work you'd be crazy not to do it to the rest of your trailers one of the one of the other tax you might take here in regards to wheel bearings and this isn't a, a fuel mileage line this is more on the maintenance side and and i can tell you what what my brother's fleet saw with this so we were kind of skeptical about the whole idea of the, the preload. And, and I actually went to Timken and I talked to some engineers at Dana and they were all, you know, Oh God, yeah. Preload bearings. That's the greatest thing ever. If you can do it. And, you know, they just weren't aware of any way you could really feasibly do it on the, on the truck. And, and so I showed them this Dr. Preload thing and they, they all agreed that, you know, we would see an efficiency bump and, and we did. Um, and a lot of it depends on how accurate that preset or preset plus hub is, which I can tell you they're, they're not generally all that accurate. Um, what we did see and what my brother's most excited about is, uh, wheel seal failures, um, as a fleet. And, you know, he's a, a smaller, smaller midsize, I guess you would say 75 trucks. I don't know, around 300 trailers. Um, we'd see about I, I, right around 25 a year, wheel seal failures, I guess, is what he was seeing. Um, if we have, you know, two a year now, it's it's odd. So it really reduces wheel seal failures. And they'll probably be more interested in that, honestly. Probably. Um, they're going to think that it's hocus pocus on, <laughs> on the fuel mileage part. But when you can directly affect the maintenance and, uh, hey. you know, changing wheel seals is not sexy. Mechanics don't like doing it. You'll get their attention on that probably if they're having issues with, with wheel seals. Um, Joel, did they, yeah, I, did they I notice, know they are. did they notice any change with, uh, ABS light issues? Oh yeah. That's another one that really helps clear up because that, you know, that tone ring and everything, everything is stabilized. There's no wobbling going right. on in there. And, uh, so yeah, you get way less that the, the false reading on the ABS issues because that, that tone ring and everything is, is solid in there. Um, the wheel seals was the big thing for us. Cause that's a road call typically yeah, or not right. service when you get, you know, you get popped for it. Um, 
And uh, so and the other thing that we do notice too is the drivers have become so accustomed to them now. Um, you have to go back in and check them every couple of years to make sure things aren't backing off. And, and when they do come into end play, even though they're still in spec, when they back off, you're at end play, the drivers pick up on that. They can feel it and they're going, Oh, something's wrong with the front of the truck. (laughs) That's kind of cool. Just just something out there that they're kind of spoiled that way. Um, so yeah, you can, you can definitely feel the difference once you become accustomed to having preloaded bearings on, on the steer axles, no doubt about it. So, um, but if you're going to sell it into a fleet, it's, you know, ask the question, how many wheel seals are you, are we doing a year? And if they can answer that and they track it, they, sh- they should probably buy into this just based on that. Yep. Okay. okay. I can give that a shot. I can give that a shot. Um, I guess it's, it's, it's along the same lines and it's a real lot, the last, question i'll ask you i'm running low pro 22.5 if i were to change to either 11 r's or i do have an extra set of 24.5 rims if i were to go to 24.5 don't do it don't do it and and i'll say why it it's it's a total crapshoot what it's going to do to fuel economy we could look at some different factors and try to figure it out part of the confusion is we can't separate rolling resistance here we only get one number for rolling resistance, yeah. and it's we don't even know how they got it. What I mean by that is Michelin, which is about the only company doing this, Yokohama started doing some. Um, the way they do it is they take a model of a tire. That model comes in all kinds of different sizes. The one they test for rolling resistance is the most popular. Whichever size in that model sells best. So we've got some models that are based on a 24.5, and then we have other models that might be based on a 22.5, and we don't even know which one's which. So it, it's just it, it's just too much of a crapshoot to even know if it's going to help. But I can tell you what isn't a crapshoot. You're we're already in a place where tires are in short <laughs> supply, and the manufacturers have said. We'll stop producing 24.5s. They're already doing it so that they can run out more 22.5s because there are shortages. You're going to put yourself into a position where you're you're making your supply chain problems worse. And we don't yeah, know I if agree. there's any gain I, I, here I or not. Do that. Right. I, I mean, yeah, we've done this on... Mm-hmm. We've done this on one of my Naxi run on less trucks, and I actually had four different engineers working on this and they were split right down the middle. Whether right. It, I mean, when it, it was the, the math was getting crazy on it. I was looking at the shit. My head was spinning. Exactly. And finally we just flipped the corner, you know, <laughs> right. what we done. So there's, there's right. no clear cut answer on this. And, and if anybody tells you they have a clear cut answer, they're, they're lying. Uh, yeah. There's, it, right. I mean, it, it gets very, very, very complicated and uh, stick with what you're at. Whatever's, most available you definitely i don't think want to be getting on the 24 fives not right now yeah i figure if i ever went back to eighty thousand, i would just compensate for my gearing with going to 24 fives but uh i don't i don't know how i'll ever go back to eighty thousand pounds yeah i i i would just yeah i think we've kind of determined your best answer here is don't spend a lot of money on fuel economy if you have some little things you want to try, you know, I can't, I, I would still throw a faster and air dog on 
Hey, I love those for not just fuel economy, but yeah. it's good for the injectors. And, you know, there are other advantages to that. It polishes the fuel. That, that's not a bad thing. So that I'd be willing to spend some money on. There are multiple advantages there. I, I might throw some air tabs on here and there, but I, I'm just not going to spend a lot of money on this. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thanks for your time, gentlemen. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Absolutely. Boy, speaking of calls. Hey, Joel, how long are you good for today? Uh, you know what? I'm sitting in the backyard with the dog, so let's, let's <laughs> rock and roll. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Give the dog a scratch for me. Uh, we're going to head off to New York. Antonio, welcome to the program. How are you doing? Good. What can we help you with today? Antonio, you there? Did we lose him? Nope, we just lost that call. Huh. Let's go to Alabama instead. Matt, welcome to the program. Good morning, gentlemen. What's on your mind today? So, well, we could start with some fuel mileage numbers since that's what the show is supposed to be about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, end of July, I went and visited Steve Crone. I remember. And we did some modifications, both to the truck and the trailer. And I got more to do. um, Because what I had planned on doing, Steve pointed out something that's much more critical on my trailer that we just didn't have time to get to. Um, So, there's an improvement coming, but it's several weeks away yet and we're going into winter so it's going to be hard to measure but I have so end of July we're looking at you know two full months a little plus I'm just pulling into a waste station at the moment so we might have to watch and see what this light does but um, 35,000 miles before and 35,000 miles after okay before, I was at 8.16. Since then, I have 8.45. Wow. So we'll just round it off to three tenths. Gain. So. And Steve is very disappointed in that number. <laughs> but I'm not. I'm Steve. kind of impressed. <laughs> and, and let me throw something yep, in before we keep moving on because I want to throw this in. Again, every call we take on the show is different. The reason this call is different, how many miles do you have fuel economy tracked on this particular truck lifetime so far? Yeah, just this truck. So it's one, just just over a million, less than 1.1. That you've tracked this truck? This truck, yep. yeah. Yeah. And you tracked your yeah, other I'm truck up for on. Yeah, I think I got seven hundred on that one. So I'm 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 a crazy runner. We'll get into some more numbers <laughs> yeah. later. We talk about the profit gauge of stuff, but I, I'm assuming I'm going to be the first one to break two million miles on fuel, fuel gauges. Yeah, you probably will be. And I wanted to bring that up because you track fuel mileage. You've been doing it a long time. You understand all the variables. I know your operation. And it, this was as accurate of a test as we can probably do with just one truck. We talk all the time about, you know, you can't put all your faith in, you know, numbers from one truck. There's so many variables. But 
You did it at a time of the year where almost nothing changed. The weather was really consistent throughout that whole time period. It just is. Your runs are consistent. You've been doing the same basic runs and freight for years. So, yeah, it's just one truck and one test, but you did 35,000 miles before and 35,000 miles after. The, the more we do that, the more it evens out the variables. So I'm actually pretty impressed. I'm, I'm glad he's disappointed. That's a good thing, but I, I'm pretty impressed. Yeah. Well, and of course, yeah, we'd always love more. The more, the better. So let but, me ask you this. If, if, um, and I don't know if we know this number or not. If Steve decided to go into business doing this, because he's, he's proven he has some ideas, they actually work. Do we know what this would have cost us if it wasn't an experiment, it wasn't your friend, and all these other things? If, if, if Steve had a business and he said, come in, I'll do this to your truck and trailer, do we have a rough idea what it would have cost? Not the whole thing, because some of it was custom work, and it, he's, it's not the type of thing you would ever get into doing repetitively, you know? Right. He would um, have to solve that, that one part, part right. I put on the trailer that yes, that no, on the, what he calls his axle diffuser. That is a part he's working on a patent and working on a form to get a, a plastic mold, you know, repetitively made. Right. Whereas the piece that's on here is handmade, handmade. with fiberglass. Exactly. And Which all riveted is together. Yep. Really time consuming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, and that's, that is Steve's plan. He's, you know, he's, his intentions are to become right. That's a what I aerodynamic yeah. product manufacturer installer. So yeah, so, yeah so those numbers aren't here yet, but they will be hopefully in the next year. Yeah. So I, I, I have know, a feeling a that big, this this would be a worthwhile investment that the, the break even and return is going to come pretty quickly. Yep. Yeah. Cause actually that just that axle diffuser, that was, I, uh, I'm not going to remember now, but I mean, less than a thousand bucks. I, I was going to say, I have and to that, believe if he gets this to the point of manufacturing out of molded plastic, this will become a couple hundred dollars. Yep. And, and he's working on another piece, you know, since Smart Truck is, well, I mean, they got bought out. They're not out of business, but they're not manufacturing anymore. Right. The under tray. Right. To the best of my knowledge, anyway. I, I don't think they he are. He has a piece. Yeah, he has a piece to basically replace that. That'll go in front of the axles, but it's going to bolt to the slider. So it'll oh, move. So, which, so it, its air position will be fixed, but it'll move with your tandems. It, which actually makes more sense to me. They, they, when they yep. tested and that I, under tray device, they had an absolute sweet spot based on distance and they knew it. And the minute we start moving our sliders yep. around, all the numbers go to hell. Yep. So, yeah, it's a, that's a, that I, like he, I said, I know he's disappointed. I think it's pretty impressive. Well, yeah, that's, the reason I 
I've mentioned this on the air before. I got extra stuff hanging on my trailer, extra fuel tanks. I, so we got to clean that ugly stuff up that's grabbing air underneath. And I, I mean, I don't question that at all. I you know, know it, it's a drag. It, it's kind um, of interesting. Two, there's room for improvement. Yeah, two of the companies in the industry that really addressed aerodynamics as an aftermarket thing. There really aren't many aftermarket aerodynamic products. You know, we could throw air tabs in there. It's, they're wonderful, but that's not any big game changer. We could throw some wheel covers in. Again, they they help, but they're not a game changer. There isn't a whole lot on the market for aerodynamics. Two companies that I can think of, one smart truck, which had ungodly amounts of government money in the beginning. Um, the, guy, the guy who started smart truck, and I worked with him, directly he came from the epa smartway program he brought all that government money with him and look where they are today mm. they actually created some great products what the hell happened they're gone on the other hand let's look at a guy one person who started a company and built an aerodynamic product and has been wildly successful with it yeah can anybody think of who it is um, I mean, he's. <laughs> that is your flow below. Exactly. One guy, straight out of college, basically, um, came up with an awesome product and did something almost nobody else has been able to do in this industry, and that was sell the OEMs on a fuel mileage improvement. Yeah, I agree. That was a that was a trick. So he he, he done a hell of a job <laughs> yes, on that. Did. That's a hard yep. hard thing to do because the first thing out of everybody's mouth, well, the OEM would already be doing it. <laughs> exactly, you know, if it made sense. Right. Well, right. You know, so that's that's what you always hear. So, just interested, what was your average speed? Do you know on on your uh, on your gauge? Uh, um, fifty eight. 58. So the faster you go, the bigger that gain is, is right. most likely going to be. That's right. And, you know, I'm bumping up against a lot of this stuff with the iTorque because it is so high speed capable. Um, you know, 73 mile an hour, 1,000 RPM. So <laughs> yeah. uh, the arrow yeah. becomes becomes much, much more important. Yeah, it does. And uh, so, yeah, I just, just was interested on that, uh, the average speed. So three tenths at 58. Honestly, that is. Um, pretty pretty impressive at, at the lower speed it's very hard to get an arrow bump at yeah. at lower speed so uh yeah interesting definitely yeah and i don't know how well you know my truck joel but it's a 2002 t600 and i pull my own reefer trailer but i got it's a, actually it's a 99 and the funny thing is i built this truck and engine before they even made the law about the elds so it wasn't ah. a plan to go with a 99 <laughs> engine, but that Pittsburgh Power had the block sitting there. Yep. And yeah, we yeah. built this in 2015 before they even even wrote that law. Or, well, within months of writing that law anyway. But, yeah, I'm running, you know, old 2WS Cat with, you know, mm -hmm. traditional 13-speed double overdrive. And now, mm -hmm. yeah, where I've changed is I've done the cutoff. I've got the 253 rear end mm -hmm. which works really good for 58 mile an hour that's uh yeah. that's yep. 253 that's a ratio that i ran for years with a direct drive and 58 is just like ideal that's money right, right. there yep. 
Sure is. Yep. Yeah, and that you guys were talking earlier about, um, you know, the first signature truck. And back in the old days, Kevin, everything you recommended with direct drive in the 264. Well, right. That was basically the limit. I don't know when they came out with, I know 250, remember hearing that one, but. That yeah, was and mid 2000s before that even came out. Yeah, and part of our issue with why we kind of stopped at the 264 had nothing to do with the top end of the equation. It was the bottom end. We couldn't go any higher. We we nope. we lost startability and even grade ability at some point. Right. Uh, the 253 is a Dana ratio, a Dana Spicer ratio, and that is the direct request from like ABF and the big LTL companies that were have run direct drive transmissions for a long time that had a deeper reduction on them. So that 253 has existed in one form or another for quite a long time in the S190 axle housing. That was a very popular ratio with the LTL carriers, UPS, ABF, um, a lot of them ran it. So when they did start to look at down speeding for six by fours and owner operators and other fleets. Um, uh, Dana used that 253 ratio because it sat right on the borderline with the startability. And if you were looking to really push the limits, that's what you used. And uh, you done exactly what they were kind of envisioning with that ratio. So, spot on. Yeah, um, just something real odd. I just noticed last week and I pulled an oil sample out of my front differential. And this this came out of a 2016. Um, it was well Kenworth T680 that was wrecked on the front end. Um, but there's no drain plug on the bottom of the axle. And this is uh, gonna, what what model number is that? Um, it, that's a that's a Eaton or a Dana rear end, correct? Uh, yeah, the Eaton and Spicer, yeah. Probably a DS4. I don't know the exact model without going back and looking. Give me the model number on that, if you would, and and maybe, you know, shoot it to me uh, when you get a chance. Um, There was something about this we were just talking about, and I didn't pay much attention to it because it was was with some older equipment, and I was talking to one of the the Spicer guys about that. and and I'll have a, a chat with them, but give me the model model number on that if you would. No. Yeah, I mean it. Obviously, I have no problem. You pull the temperature plug, you're going to mm-hmm. drain about half of the oil, and then yeah, you mm-hmm. just run a tube in there and vacuum it out. But sure, it just was odd. Yeah. 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 It does seem odd. Yeah, it does. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> And it, it big fleet, big big fleet truck that was wrecked that I got this out of. Um, mm-hmm. Which obviously on their end, they're never going to change oil and differentials anyway. They're well, that's that's just it, and and uh, yeah, it's one of those deals. Well, we want to trade it in three years, so we don't have to do any of that stuff. So no, I get it, I yep. get it. <laughs> so um, switch gears a little bit. Uh, so on the profit side. Uh, Steve Wheeler called and then uh, Brian yesterday um, about my numbers and you know I'm 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 very happy with my numbers. I don't want to brag about them <laughs> on the profit gauges, but uh, just want everybody to be clear. It, I am a workaholic. My 
gross or net number for the first three quarters of the year. The number we didn't talk about is how many miles I've run. <laughs> I, I run every week back and forth to Florida from Minnesota. I'm already at 130,000 miles. I might break or I'll be in the 170 range for the year. That's a lot. Now, this wow. is not a long-term plan. I don't, this isn't really what I want to be doing, but it's, uh, we make hay when the sun's shining and you know, everything is shining on my operation right now. So I just keep running and I'm waiting for the day. Oh, Joel, you threw out the offer. You know, these guys yeah. say, well, you couldn't do this in my operation. And you, you know, maybe uh-huh. you could start doing some of this testing, go pull some of these trailers. I want to mm-hmm. take you up on that. Not because I know you're going to prove fuel mileage, but I just want the time off. Can you come do my job? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, you know what? I, 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 we may set something up here because be this fun. is exactly the type of stuff that, that I'm looking for. That'd be fun. And I, I would love to to, to see the Delta there. And, and uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely talk about that. Yep. Definitely talk about it. There you go. Hey, Matt, I, awesome. I, I know you probably um, have tons more. I'm actually going to cut you loose today. Yep. I, the, I, I didn't okay. even, I didn't realize we had this many phone lines. <laughs> no problem. I can call any day. So. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm going wow. to cut you loose. We're going to, yeah, the, I just looked out and I got him like, I forgot we had this many phone lines. <laughs> um, let's, uh, let's go to Missouri. Dale, welcome to the program. Hey, a little bit out of the box for where you're at, but you've been talking right. about soil nutrition and bacterium and that, that's that kind of thing. Yeah. Have you ever heard of David Latimer? No. No, that doesn't sound familiar. David, David Latimer, back in the uh, 50s or 60s, got his, all his soil bacteria and everything correct in a great big, almost like what you would use to build a, a yeast colony in, you know, the that, that bowl-shaped bottle. Yeah. And he planted a garden in it, and then he put a cork in the top. And then in sometime in the 60s, he opened it up, and he added water to it. He did that, and he's never added water to it or removed the cork since. The biological of all what he did to the soil breaks down things, eats the oxygen, makes the carbon monoxide for the plants to breathe. It's completely self-sustaining environment. Wow. But because you're so into that, I would look up David Latimer. Yeah, I Because will. obviously this guy is at the far end of that. He you know sounds what I'm like it. Yeah. All right. All right. That's all I got. So I'll let you guys help somebody with their fuel and their business. All right. Thank you for that. Let's, uh, let's go to North Dakota. Chris, welcome to the program. Hello. How are you guys today? Good. What's on your mind? Got, well, I got a bone to pick with you. Uh, I'm the guy from North Dakota that in the last 18 months, I've gone from 399 pounds to 260, and none of my clothes fit, and it's all your fault. Hey, hey, Chris. Chris, <laughs> I've got a bone to pick with you. <laughs> what, what's that? Why didn't you wait one more day to start and go out and gorge at the buffet so you could have gotten over 400? You were at three ninety nine. Come on, it would sound know, so much more it impressive. Was such a str- it, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was impressive that I could get up in the morning and get through the day. That's about I, all I have. I, I am impressed with that, honestly. I, I you know, I, I deal with a lot of people like this, and I, um, I, I just can't imagine how hard life is at that point. Well, it's odd. Uh, I'm a, I was a big guy to begin with. I'm six foot six inches tall. So the weight, you know, it was uncomfortable. But what really got me is uh, I've got an arm that's full of metal from a motorcycle accident. I've got some crushed vertebrae from a different accident and torn rotator cuff. Uh, I'm 38 years old and I was really hard on my body and everything hurts. And now in 18 months, Nothing hurts. I haven't touched so much as an ibuprofen. That's what really isn't me. isn't that incredible. We we have been brainwashed it, to believe that you know you're just going to deal with pain. I was the same way. I busted all kinds of bones. You know, football, motorcycles, wrestling, snowmobiles, all kinds of stuff, and everything hurt. And we were just told, well, that's just you know you did that. Deal with it. But but it's not true. It doesn't have to hurt. It shouldn't hurt. I mean, our bodies should be able to heal those injuries, and then they shouldn't hurt anymore. But our diet is so poor, our whole body is so inflamed that we just suffer all that pain, and people are shocked. You know, everybody loves the weight loss. There's no doubt about that. But I swear I get more comments about the fact that they're not people aren't in pain all the time anymore. Yeah, it, it definitely uh, changed my life for the better. So thank, Excellent. You, thank you very much for You're that. You're welcome. Uh, I actually went to put my put my Letterman's jacket on from high school the other night. We were cleaning out closets, and that damn thing doesn't even fit anymore. Uh, wait a minute. You're telling me it's too big? It's too big. That's... I was actually bigger at eight or small. I was bigger at 18 years old in high school. Than I want than I am right now at thirty eight years old. That's awesome! Congratulations. But the real or the main reason I was calling you, um, I had a trucking company for quite a few years. Uh, partnered with my father, we ran trucks in the oil field. Uh, my father passed away about six seven years ago. I wound up uh, taking over the branch operation and I shut the trucking company down, had everything sitting in my yard until about two years ago. I wound up taking a job locally for the county. And as soon as equipment prices got crazy, like they are right now, I started selling equipment off Good. For more than what I paid for. <laughs> and the, the- turn, turned out... Turned out about perfect timing because when the oil field started crashing, I saw that race to the bottom deal and I just shut down rather than race to the bottom. So I had made good money doing that. And then I hung on to the equipment for long enough because I was always planning on going back into it at some point. And now I've got no plans to go back into it. And equipment is worth ridiculous amounts of money. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Good timing. But what I'm what I'm wondering, yeah, well, sort of. What I'm wondering though is with this with this uh, money from this equipment that I've sold, I'm going to have to pay a pretty hefty recapture of depreciation on it from some of these trucks. Yeah, and I've still got my authority. It's just in standby right now. Am I? stupid to think that I kind of want to take one of these trucks I have left 
put a driver in it, maybe do some updates to that truck and just let him run it to well, try to offset. I need some expenses to offset some of this recapture. He, well, here's the thing, though. If you plan to put a driver in that truck, you're not planning on losing money, are you? No. Well, what? No, I stop. Can, stop I with the. No, stop with. I stop put, with the butt. Okay. Stop with the butt. If you're not okay. going to lose money, if you're going to make even just one dollar in profit, you're not going to save a penny in taxes. There's no way. We all we would be able to possibly do is maybe defer when you pay them, but ultimately you're going to end up paying more tax if you put a driver in a truck. Because it's going to generate profit. Yeah, that's, that's the true. whole point. If we're not generating profit, why would we yeah, do it? Be, yep. Right. I'd just be kicking the can down the road. Right. Right. That's all we would be doing. I could say, yes, if you go buy this and this or we do this. And, yeah, we could at least lower your tax this year. But it, you're just going to pay it to the next two and three years. So... If you wanted to keep a truck and make a little profit off of it and keep your foot in the business, absolutely go ahead. Don't do it because of taxes. Yeah, okay. Okay, well, and then my, I guess that follows up with my next question. Um, I've been, I'm totally debt-free right now. Own my house, you know, no big bills. The ranch and this job I took pretty much, uh, for my day-to-day, everything that I've got was quite a bit left over, so I've just been taking this money and throwing it in a safe in the house. Is there a better thing to do with that cash right now? The, the markets do kind of scare me. I've been listening to you talk about stuff for the last couple weeks, and am I... Should I just the, keep that all as liquid in my gun the, safe until something comes up? The only other thing I could think we could do it with it is maybe bury the gun safe in the backyard so it's safer. But other than that, no, there's nothing to do with money right now. <laughs> all, all we can do is sit back and wait. Okay. Well, now, now, did you wait a minute? No, I do have one thing. Did you happen to hear our show about the I bonds? No, I did not. Okay. So the I-bonds, we don't hear about I-bonds very often. This is a government-issued bond. Um, We don't hear much about this because normally these aren't that great of a deal. They're they're okay. Um, Right now, because of what's going on with the interest rates and the economy, I-bonds are currently paying 9.62% interest. That's the current rate right now. That is outstanding. Now, there are limitations on how much you can put in. Um, If you're married, each spouse gets to put in. If you have a business, the business can buy that same amount of bonds. So what I want you to do is I want you to go to, can you either write this website down or record it? I mean, you can always go back on the app and listen. Yeah, so the website is treasurydirect.gov, G-O-V, treasurydirect.gov. And just that's that's where you will buy these I-bonds, but you can go in and read about them too. 
but I, I would, I want you to read okay. so you understand what you're doing, but I would tell you, you should absolutely put the maximum you can into I-bonds right now. Okay, so I could uh, buy an X amount of dollars worth of them through the trucking company. My ranch has its own tax ID, and then yep. I've got my personal tax ID. So then, I could actually do three sets of them? Yep, absolutely. And you should. Okay. Okay, well, that uh, points me in a direction. Uh, I appreciate it, and uh, I think I will go that route then. Excellent. Good. Congratulations. All right. Well, thank you, guys. I really enjoy listening to your show. You're welcome. All right. Let's uh, let's grab another call. We're going to head off to Oklahoma. Paul, we were talking about you. Yeah, I heard. So um, that guy with the, the doubles, um, if he pulls the same set of trailers all the time, if it was me, I'd just go and pay for the air tabs and put them on, both trailers. It might help a little bit, but it's not like air tabs are really expensive anyway, as long as he's towing the same set of trailers all the time. That's a good idea. I, we, I didn't even think about asking him that. If he was doing that, I'd do the same thing. I, I'd spend my own money on a company trailer if I pull them all the time. Yeah, and then one one thing about that trailer, though, he said they're exterior rib trailers. I'm not sure you've got a flat enough oh. surface to make those the things. air tabs do uh, anything at all. They're going to have Good any point. impact yeah. at all, I, right? Yeah, yeah, I was thinking more of the wheel bearing thing because, Joel, you were right. In this operation, that wheel bearing issue could be really yeah. critical. But I, I agree. The air tabs, I kind of doubt they're going to do anything. Would they have if he put them on his track? Maybe. A little bit. Right off the mirrors, maybe. When it rains. Might be better, though. Wow. Hey, I, I just got a message on Facebook. Um, no, actually, it's not on Facebook. I'm, I happen to be on LinkedIn. I clicked on something in my email. Um, I want to... It's kind of interesting. Um, I just got a message from somebody. I... I don't know this person, haven't ever seen the name, don't recognize him, I don't you know, see him in any of our groups or anything. Um, but I love getting messages like this. It says, I started as a driver back in 2007 and became an owner-operator in 2008, which is right when my show started in 2007. And now my company has sales of $300 million per year. You helped me a lot. I'm obsessed with fuel mileage. Holy cow. I wonder if that's for real. Wow. Yeah, that's big. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, I'm pretty sure, like, I'm, I'll be 58 next month. I'm pretty sure I've still got one more, at least one more truck in me, but I'm thinking I'm going to do it. Usually when you buy it, a stinger, car carrier rig, you buy a new truck, new trailer, new head rack. What's the... Well, I'm uh, thinking I'm going to buy... What, what would be the cost of that today? Well, I like a few extras, so... To, if I built my exact same truck again, truck, trailer, everything, yeah, which was 317, 
I'd be about 420. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. Ooh. Oh, man. Wow. Wow is right. <laughs> Holy cow. Whew. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, so my trailer is nine and a half years old, and it's a control trailer, and eventually they get rusty. Um, the, the bottom rails, which is structural, well, all my rust little my little rust holes they start to hold hands and make make it look <laughs> kind of ugly. Yeah, <laughs> but just to put new bottom, it's it's a big job to put new bottom rails in it. Depending on if I take it back to the people that built it, it's eighty six hundred dollars a side just to put new bottom rails in it. And then whatever else they find as they go along, so it would probably turn into twenty two or twenty five thousand, yeah, right? Just to put new bottom rails in it. Well, I'll still have a trailer that's nine and a half years old, got one point over one point one million miles on it. So I'm thinking I'll go buy a new trailer, which will last me for ten years, and in a couple of years' time. I'll buy a new tractor and a new head rat. So rather than spending 420 in one hit, you know, because if you put $60,000 down, you're still looking at a, depending on how long you stretch it out, you're still looking at a five or $6,000 payment a month. And the longer you stretch it out, the more you end up paying. So you don't yeah, want to stretch so it out. Thought, well, you, you know, you want to push the limits and try to pay it off as quick as you can. But man, that is a that's a big nut to look at every month. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I, I, I like my I like my extras. Like, oh, I get it. I, I got yeah. extra light and the right and the disc well disc brakes. I don't class them as extra anymore. That's a standard. Yeah, but they're probably yeah. cheaper now than when I got it. And um. So I'm thinking I'll buy a new trailer, and then in a couple of years' time, I may buy a new Volvo and put the Fontaine roof on it. And I, then I had another thought the other day. I got a when you had um, David Counts on, and he said he'd he'd built his uh, you know he's in the camp of RV business. Yeah, and I thought. I get him to build me a custom sleeper. Oh, oh. <laughs> you would. Oh, there you go. When when you see the level of work they can do down there, it is absolutely incredible. Now, I will tell you, um, time and money are going to be the big issue here. Um, this stuff takes a long time to build from scratch. You know, this isn't like a factory assembly yeah. line kind of thing where. Um, this is all custom from scratch. So time, you would probably want to start talking to him at least a year before you needed that sleeper. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like if I, if I call Cottrell and order a new trailer today, when I, I talked to him, um, about two weeks ago and they're not selling trailer only packages for the rest of this year anyway. And if I ordered it now, it's about seven months before I even get a new trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, I would count on a year if yep. you wanted, you know, 
them to build you a custom sleeper. But I, I will tell you that you know, they, they, it's shocking to me because I really am pretty heavily involved in both industries that there isn't far more crossover between RVs and trucks. There should be. In trucking, we should be using all of that stuff they have in the RV world, and we don't. If you go to David, that's what he does all day long, but he gets trucking too. So he would really be able to build you a really unique sleeper. Yeah, well, unique is what I want because I'm still having the car over the hood, but I want I want a tiny house with a shower in it, and I still want to be able to stand up. Yeah. Now he, he one guy one guy one guy did build one like that, but um, I could always go see them. But yeah, you know, you could go to the. I, I like to be different. I, I think Stoops. There's there's a couple other you know you know big names out there in the the big sleeper world, but David could certainly build something really custom. Yeah. So I've started making drawings. So that's there you one. go. Yeah. Yeah. So, and if Joel's going to tow Matt's trailer and do his <laughs> run for a, for a week or two, I'll, 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 make, I'll, make, I'll, make it an, I'll make it an effort to meet up with him when he's on his way to Tupelo. There you go. There you go. All right. Yeah. So, I'll carry on. All right. All right. We're going to cut you loose. We're going to continue rolling through the calls here. Eric in Wisconsin, it's your turn. Hey, good afternoon, gentlemen. Um, I'm in a little bit of a dilemma here, and um, I could use your help on uh, getting the right spec for my operation. I, uh, I'm i coming on the end of the life for my, my truck. Um, you know, I got six good years out of it, 700,000 miles. I'm approaching a million on my Pro Star with the actually with a max force 13. Um, and I really fear that th- this is going to cost me dearly here if I don't act soon and get a different truck. So I've got it narrowed down to two trucks and, uh, I'm just, I, I, I can't choose between the two and I'm hoping you guys can help me kind of point out the benefits of one or the other. Um, yeah, hey, hey, so we the c- first truck is a, hold on. I, I, we, we can help. Hey, Joel, get a quarter out of your pocket. Okay. <laughs> Joel and I'll just sit here and flip quarters till we come up with something. How's that sound? <laughs> I'm, I was hoping maybe you put a little bit more thought into it okay. than gambling. <laughs> all, right. all right. We'll um, try. All right. So first, truck number one is a 2020 Freightliner Cascadia with two 15s and a DD-15. Now, both of these trucks, relatively the same mileage, four and a quarter. Um, and, uh, both of them are within a couple thousand of each other. We're right at 98,000, okay. which is much higher than I, you know, 18 grand more than I want to pay, but it's the market. So, um, yeah, the first truck is a 2020 Freightliner Cascadia BD 15 with two 15 rears, six by four with an APU. Second truck is a 2019 Mac with the MP8. 455 six, uh, yeah, six by four with 247s, and that's a TC engine. Um, I, I, I just, I guess I'm 
I'm a little, a little torn. Both of them are automatics. Both of them come with the integrated powertrain or automated. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Joel, you may have a different take on this. I, I'm kind of looking at this, and it's not really specced all that well for the TC. I certainly could have been specced better with the, the TC. The DD15 specs don't look all that bad. Um, I, I don't know that there's enough. Uh, neither one of them are perfect. Um, I don't know if there's enough difference for me to really be able to tell just based on the specs. I'd, I think, unless, Joel, unless you have another idea, I'd have to do a little more digging, like a rig dig. Can we? Can we, the way I approach this, I would try to find a way to eliminate a truck. You know, these are close enough, unless, Joel, you've got something specific in here I'm missing, and you may. Um, but the way I'm looking at this, that I would have to look at, at I would want to find a reason to eliminate a truck here. And honestly, as much as I hate to say this, the, the deciding factor here might be, do you have a Mac dealer someplace that you think you could build a relationship with and is, is really good? That's exactly what I was going to say. This is going to come down to dealer relationship. Um, both these trucks are going to be pretty comparable. Uh, fuel efficiency, um, it, it, it's truly going to come down to the your dealership relation. If you've got a great Mac dealer, pull the trigger. If the freight yeah. liner dealer is I, stupendous, go there. Yeah. It, it, yeah. So I, I don't have any experience with Volvo Mac dealer in the area, but I do with Freightliner. I have a Columbia glider and honestly it was it, the, dealing with the dealerships in Wisconsin with truck country is one of the worst experiences <laughs> I've ever had. I do not, do not like that company anywhere you go in the Midwest. Um, but you know, I, I was really hoping for fuel efficiency, which one would be the better one. Um, you know, I, I did the process of elimination and, uh, you know, I, for my, my run, we run out to, to the East coast, pull pretty heavy stuff. But, well, I shouldn't say heavy We're We're usually 78,000 all the time. You know, so, one, um, one you know, thing- I was concerned about the DD 15 versus the 13. One now the the fifteen is a solid engine. I mean, I talk about the thirteen just because I tend to like smaller displacement engines, and I think the thirteen could be a really good engine if we focused on it more. Uh, but the fifteen is so common. I mean, it, it, it's got to be the most common engine we're selling today in trucking. So I, I don't really worry about that. Okay. One you, thing you, we one think? thing we might uh, be able to do because so, it sounds like even the dealer issue isn't going to help you here. You, you don't have a relationship with either one, and you've tried on one of them, and and you're not happy with it. One thing we might be able to pull some information out of that would help would be a full ECM report from each one. You know, I never used to say pull an ECM report to look at fuel mileage numbers because they used to be so horribly inaccurate. That's not true today. When we pull an ECM report, we see a fuel mileage number. I'm not going to say it's exact, but I'm pretty confident that it's close. And if we were to pull, there's a chance, even though the specs look pretty decent on both of these, there's a chance that one of them just fell on its face and didn't do all that great. And, and if we see that, that would certainly help make the decision. If they both come back with good fuel mileage numbers, then we're at the same point again. And honestly, Joel, you and I might have to get out the quarters. 
Yeah, no, you're you're <laughs> exactly right. These they're going to be very comparable. The the one thing that I would really look at hard is actually where the default parameters are in a transmission. What's the default starting gears? Because both of those transmissions get very pricey if you have to do any work on them, and if they've got some goofy default um, starting gear, like it'll start in fourth gear. Oh, Stay away from that truck because you're going to be working on that transmission. Good. good, um, good so point. I would be looking at default starting gear, and I'd be looking hey, at uh, regens and stuff. I, I, that's the what I was just going to say. Yep. See if one's regening all the time. Yeah. Look yep. at the emission system health. Look at where the transmission parameters are at. And um, uh, that's I think that's what would drive my decision because fuel mileage-wise, if as long as the parameters are right and I can help you with parameters on the Mac, you know, if, if that's the way you decide to go, they're going to be right on top of each other. There's yeah. not going to be a whole lot of difference there. Sure. Yeah. The, the, the Mac was kind of taken a backseat. You know, my process of elimination had Mac and in, in second here, just because it doesn't have an APU. And I watch these freaking company drivers sit in the idle all night with these new trucks and it just blows my mind. And I'm like, ah, I don't want to deal with that. I, you know, you know, there's going to be emission issues with that if they, if they're not if they don't have an idle option. Um, but just curious, what do you what do you guys think I could average? Now we we do the the pedal coach in our our trucks and and uh, you know we try to keep keep the score up. I, I guess I'm just curious, what do you think I could end up uh, on a are, you know an average for fuel economy? What are you getting now with your uh, glider? With the glider, uh, well, if I'm in it, uh, eight and a half to eight, eight five to eight nine. That's impressive. I mean, that's those with two sixty four yeah, rears are, and ten speed. Yeah, those are those are good numbers already. I, I don't think you're going to beat that by much. No, you're you're going to fall yeah. right in that yeah. range. The, the what year is the Mac? That's a nineteen. 19. So that's going to be a Gen 1 TC. Um, so, yeah, it's going to fall right in that range. If that was a Gen 2, I'd say you'd probably beat it um, beat it a little bit. But with the Gen 1, you're going to fall right in that range. And the Freightliner was what year? 2020. Freightliner is 2020. That's a Gen 5. So um, th- that Freightliner is probably, well, I think it's a Gen 5 on 2020. It, it potentially, if that is their latest and greatest on that DD15, it, it will have a slight fuel efficiency advantage. If they both came out of fleets, just because that truck has an APU, you're definitely going to want to double check the idle time. I have watched these guys in fleets with trucks with APUs idle anyway. So that's, that's not <laughs> yeah, a guarantee. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely not a guarantee. So, um, Definitely check the idle time. Look at the number of regens the trucks have done. It should they should be able to give you a list of if if they didn't complete any regens. Um, there, there's a lot of things so, going on there that you can look at as as far as getting a, a readout on the emission system health. So, Eric, one of the things we're telling okay, you here awesome. is we need a different mindset. You started correctly. Looking at fuel economy, because that's number one. Fuel economy and maintenance, number one, so that you were right to look at that. You found two trucks that are so close and both spec'd well. We we wouldn't eliminate these trucks on their specs. They're both spec'd good. So rather than, you know, we started this trying to find the best truck. They're so close, you can't pick the best truck. So we need to take a total mind shift 
And now we're looking for a way to eliminate one. We're not looking for which one's better now. We're looking for which one's worse so we can get rid of it. It's easier to do. So, again, pull that ECM report. There may be some data in there that makes the decision for us. Pull a rig dig. There may be some data in there that makes the decision for us. So we now our goal is to find sure. a reason not to buy one of these trucks. Yep, sure. Yep, rig digs are done. All, all checked out great. Now I just need to, yeah, if you're, I plan on pulling the ECM report. I just, uh, Good. I just Good. want to make sure all the due diligence was done before we, uh, you know, start trying to ask yeah. the fleet to, no, it's, it's, to allow me to do that. You know, sometimes it, they get a little, little worried about that, but. Uh, it's kind of funny that I started yeah, off this you call. You guys are rock stars. Can't, it's kind of funny that I started off the call saying we're going to help you and we're going to decide with quarters and that might be what it comes down to. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like, yeah. I, I, again, I appreciate all the information. You guys are, are just absolute rock stars. Hey, and uh, hey, thank you very much. One other, one other thing that might completely eliminate one, look at the wheelbase on them and the front axle capacity. Ah, good point. Um, if you've got one that has a shorter wheelbase and a little more front axle capacity, that means you'll be able to keep the gap closed up tighter um so yeah if you got one that has a twelve thousand pound front and a 240 inch wheelbase kick it to the curb so i'll, I'll give okay, you awesome. a, i'll give you an example of so now we're looking for these really kind of weird out there things you know we're, we're trying to find these small things to make a decision with when i bought my very first truck i had a choice of 12 and these are old roadway tractors. So I flew down to South Carolina. <laughs> uh, it was actually Spartan Express at the time, which roadway had bought. So I've got these 12 trucks sitting here. They're all road bosses. So they're all virtually identical as far as the body, the wheelbase. They're all six by twos with that airbag on the front axle set up. They either have Cats or Detroits. And they're all air starters. They all have, you know, one seat and two gauges. That was it, two gauges in the whole truck. <laughs> uh, no power steering, no radios, no nothing. But this is not an exaggeration. I spent 10 hours walking back and forth between those 12 trucks to make my decision. It took me to, mm -hmm. there wasn't that much to look at on these trucks. They were so damn simple. But I spent 10 hours, and you know what? It paid off. I, and I got a truck with a Detroit, and everybody at the time, I was young. I was 22 years old. Everybody said, oh, what an idiot. Why would you buy a Detroit when you could have had a cat? And almost every other contractor mm -hmm. that went down and bought those cats, I had so much better luck with that old bratty Detroit. <laughs> that was funny. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, thank, thanks again, guys. I, again, I really appreciate everything you do for us out here. It's, uh, it's a lifesaver. So have a great weekend. You too. Appreciate thanks for the call. Let's go to New York. Antonio, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, how are you? Thanks for taking my call. Good. What can we help you with? Um, I have a, I have a money question that I have to, I'm, I want to ask. Okay. All right. Uh, I may be coming into uh, a, a large sum of money. I currently have two home loans. One's for 22597 22, That's at an interest rate of 7%. 
I pay twenty one ninety five a month. Okay. The second one is is twenty nine nine seventy two. I pay nine and a quarter percent on that. The monthly payment is five oh nine oh three. I have fourteen thousand. So, hold hold on. It, that first That's, loan, what's the term on that one? Why was that payment so high? It must be a really short term. Uh, 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 they're, they're, they're both thirty. They're both thirty year, thirty year loans. Wait a minute. When maybe I got I, it, maybe, uh, I, maybe I wrote something uh, down wrong. On that first loan, what's your payment? Twenty one ninety five. Maybe I is that loan twenty two thousand or two hundred and twenty thousand. 220. Oh, okay. That's where I screwed up. I wrote that down as 22,000. Okay. Now it makes sense. Go ahead. Okay. And, uh, and the second loan is 29,972. Okay. Yeah, I got that one at nine and, and a I quarter. Pay five okay. and, I, and I paid 509 on that. Okay. I have uh, $14,000 in a credit card debt. And it's been rising up this year. It used to be 11. Now it's all the way up to 16 and a yeah. quarter. Yeah. And it's going to go higher. So, so the average, yeah, so the average uh, interest rate uh, on that is at least 170. Okay. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm already more than halfway through on these, on the loans. Okay. All right. Um, that's like uh, on the on the twenty two, the principal is nine oh eight, and the interest is twelve eighty six. On okay. the twenty nine, the principal is two seventy eight, and the interest is two thirty one. Got it. Okay, I've got enough information now, about what you owe currently. We don't need to dig any deeper into those kind of numbers. How much money do you think you're coming into? Two two fifty five. 255. All right. As crazy as this sounds, um, I would spend every penny of it to pay off the debt. If it'll cover it all, cover it all. I don't think it will. I think you're going to end up a little short. Uh, but I would use every penny of it. Yes. Yeah. My, my question was, um, should I, should I pay off all the, uh, the home loans and then leave? Yes. Well, no, 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 no. Um, we're, this is just going to be a math problem. We're going to do this based on math only. Um, so you're going to pay off the credit card first because it's the highest interest. That's the one that's going to save us the most. Then you're going to pay off the 29,000 because it's at 9.25%. And then you're going to put the rest of the money towards the 220-some thousand at 7%. And whatever is left over at that, we're paying the lowest amount of interest possible. Okay. Uh, one thing I, I'm sorry, I, I forgot to say, all right? My, I, I, I'm, on a, I'm on a fixed income. So I, I'm only going to be bringing in two grand, two grand a month. So, so that so I know what you're so hold, me, hold on. Let me, no, so, let, let me tell you what I think you're thinking. In your mind, you want to hold back some cash for some security. No. Okay. No. I want to pay the 220 and I want to pay the credit cards and then what's left pay the 29 because that 509 uh 
five oh nine a month is a lot easier to swallow than the twenty one ninety five. So first off, how were you ever going to do this if you didn't come into this money? Oh, we. I've been. I've been making the. The, I've been making the the payments, you know. Oh, okay, so I'm, I'm not a, alone. It's so just, I'm going to go back to yeah. my other answer. This is a math problem. You're on a fixed income. We want to cut expenses everywhere we can. You can already make the payments without getting rid of these other amounts. Now, all of a sudden, you don't have to make a payment to the credit card. You don't have to make a payment on the 9.25% loan. Those are gone. So I'm going to go back to my original answer. Don't do the credit card in the 30000 That That doesn't make sense. We, we want to save every penny we can. And the difference between paying off a mortgage at 9.25% or 7 is big. Yeah. Uh, 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 yeah I, I, re- I didn't really want to give out too, too much information, but... Like I said, hey, 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 uh, the, Antonio, the, 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 Antonio, the, the, I, mm-hmm. nobody knows who you are. Give me more information. Don't hold something back and then ask for my advice. I could give All you right. completely uh, the wrong answer. Uh, you don't know how important what you're holding back might be. Okay, you got it. You got it. All right. So I'm I'm on workman's comp, get eight hundred dollars every two weeks. Okay. All right, and then I get fifteen hundred from Social Security disability. Okay. All right. So with that, I'm able to pay. I was able to pay the 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 mortgage. All right, because when you add up the twenty one and the twenty five, it comes out to twenty seven something. Okay. All right. So like I said. When I take this settlement, well, well hold on. Right, the hold only on. thing I'm going to have because again, you're on a fixed income. You're paying the twenty seven hundred now on that fixed income, and you're making at least a minimum payment to your credit cards, right? Yeah. So we eliminate that. We go back to only paying nineteen hundred a month. And we save money. But if we we use your strategy, you're going to spend more money than you need to. After I take take this settlement, I don't have the $1,600 anymore, the the, the $800 every two weeks. The only thing I'm going to be bringing in is $1,500. Ooh. Got it. In order, in order for well, me wait, to get wait. the two, the two fifty five. Wait a minute. I have to Can give up the. Go ahead. So you're gonna get the lump sum, but you're giving up the mm-hmm. eight hundred, well, sixteen hundred a month. Every two weeks. Yeah, exactly. It's actually more than sixteen hundred a month when you get paid every two weeks. It works out to be a little more than that, but yeah, we'll go with the 1600. That's too sad. The, simple the, math. <sighs> this is tough. Like I, I said, mean, it really is. Being, um, that, I, being that I'm going to be, be, being that I'm going to be limited to $1,500 a month. Like I said, 509, 509 me, a month 
is a, is a lot easier to swallow than twenty one ninety five. Well, yeah, now that I know you're, I, I figure, I didn't, you're right, you held back something that was critically important, the fact that your income is going yeah. to change drastically. That, that's a huge factor. Yeah. I'm glad I pushed on this. Um, let me try to go back and rethink through this. So first off, you got to get rid of the credit card debt. Let's just set that aside. That's first. You wipe that one out okay, first. I, uh, yeah, I figure so because that's 16% and... Uh, and the twenty nine thousand, that's only nine and a quarter, right? So if I use right. the total two fifty five, that leaves me with a balance of about like nine thousand five hundred and sixty seven dollars after I use all the money. Got it. Okay. So I'm glad we we so pushed and got to the rest of the I, I, information. And you had the right answer before you called me. So it's better. So it's better. Uh, Pay, pay off the 255 the credit card, what's left, put it towards the 29 and then just keep on paying the 509 a month. Correct. Because, like I said, it's and, a lot easier to swallow, and, and, and nine and a quarter is better than 16. And there's one little detail I don't want you to get tripped up on here. Make sure when you make that payment towards the $29,000, you are not going to be able to pay off the whole thing. When you make a payment, you have to specify that it is principal only. You don't want any of yeah. that money going to interest. That is a principal only payment. Yeah, I was doing that. I managed to, as a matter of fact, I was able to count uh, by doing that. I was able to knock off 10 years. Excellent. On that. Excellent. Yeah. So I'm glad we got to the, the, all the information here. And ultimately you already had the right answer. Well, thanks to you. I've been, I've been following you and, you know, I'm not the best, you know, financially literate oh, no, person, you, you, but I you, mean, you, you did this you, right. You, you kind of make things pretty now, good. This, this was fairly complicated and you did this right. Once I had all the information, I came up with the same answer you did. Thank you so much, sir. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's, uh, let's go to Illinois. Mike, welcome to the program. Uh, yeah. Hi, gentlemen. Uh, it just can't be said enough how valuable what you do for us is. So I appreciate that. Um, You're welcome. I have a, I have a kind of a specking question for you. So I, I already own the truck. Uh, just a little context. I have a 2013 Freightliner Cascadia with a DD-15 in it. And then here's the part you're really going to love. It's got a 10-speed single overdrive and 336 gears. <laughs> so there's some drivability issues with this truck as you might imagine i'm a flatbedder and uh, i'm able to pick and choose my loads so i choose lighter loads a lot because uh and when i got the truck the the engine needed some tlc the engine's running a lot better now and um you know i think it's it's performing to its potential and you know with each little incremental improvement you're like oh this is so much better but I've reached a point where I'm like, yeah, but there's still this problem. And, you know, it's when I'm loaded with a reasonable amount of weight, it's difficult to uh, cruise in, in the high 50s, low 60s. And sometimes you want to do that. I, I drive slow a lot, but many times I will drive faster than I might otherwise prefer simply because um, simply because the uh, I can hold 
speed holds grade better and compensate so, for that. Uh, so what's your average speed? Go, what Where right. do you like to cruise? Uh, I cruise usually between 62 and 4. And um, I would I would go down to 58 to 60 some, but certainly 60 if I had another step in between ninth and 10th gear. And, and so the, the real question is the big idea, and I just wanted to bounce this off of you and let you pick me apart, but I was thinking about uh, the trucks paid for. I'm not really thinking of getting rid of it. Um, thought I'd drive it until I drop, you know. Um, but thinking of putting a 13-speed transmission in it, a manual, which I'm estimating would cost me about fifteen thousand dollars. I'm I'm not necessarily looking for any payback on that. I mean, okay. I I'm assuming that, I will uh, realize some improvement in fuel economy at least a little bit so just by tell, always being able to keep it in a better yeah, tell, RPM. Go ahead. Tell me where you typically run. What part of the country? I run all over. Uh, I don't go to the East Coast that much, but I go to the East Coast. But I, I live in Texas, and I, I like to run between Texas and California a lot, and uh, and I run north. And in the summer yeah, no. months, I'll run up to the northwest a good bit. So I go everywhere. Got it. So Texas to California, not a lot of pulls. Um, you spend a lot of time on pretty level right. ground through there. Even Texas to the northwest. You're not really hitting any big pulls till you get up to the northwest, and you may not even have many then, really. Um, the 13-speed right. is going to make it more drivable. It will. It might not change your fuel economy at all because it's only improving fuel economy a very small percentage of the time you're on the road. You know, when, when we can just set the cruise and we're at top speed and the right gear— you know, that 13 speed wouldn't do a thing. It's just, it does give you that little bit of step. But the only time you're improving fuel economy is when you're using that split gear. And that's going to be a really small percentage right. of the time. And the gain is small. So I'm glad you said, I don't really care about a payback because you're not going to get one. You'll never pay for this transmission right. with fuel savings. <laughs> I mean, the payback would be in drivability. Now, if, if consider here, Joel, Joel's going to bring up maintenance. So go ahead, Joel, because you're right. You're right. <laughs> well, yeah. well, not, not not only that, but something that we 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 typically miss on this. So we're talking about changing the transmission so we have a step in the gear. We don't lose as many RPM. So just keep in mind, if we were to push that rear axle ratio out to a 253 or a 264. The step in the transmission remains the same, but the RPM drop will get smaller because it, it's a percentage of the ratio, that step. Yeah, so you're so talking you about changing might be bolts. better off. Well, no, just change the ratio oh, from okay. 336, yeah. run it down to the, like a 253, right. and you're going right. to solve that step problem and keep the same transmission. So, it's going to be it, cheaper to re-ratio the truck, especially if you use used parts. Rather and than changing that transmission out, I, and you'll get a bigger fuel efficiency bump out of it. I agree, and there's something so else. Forget about and there's something else we and, can do here, and it'll be a nine-speed. Because you're you're uh -huh. trying to get better drivability. I understand that. We're going to give you better fuel economy and better drivability, and we're going to spend less money doing it. And Joel, would this be a good time to think about a six by two? 
we should at least throw that out there. That's a that's an option that could cut sure. the cost down and make the truck even more efficient. But the other thing here that can help drivability is anything that helps performance. A tune, a fleet air filter, mm-hmm. reducing back anything we can do here that will improve performance will also improve drivability. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean I've uh, that's where my efforts were focused. I've had the truck five years up to this point, and I've um, I've got a tune on it. Um, that was the last thing I did. It's it's had the diesel force clean twice now. It's got a fleet air filter. Um, I stay on top of the overhead. Um, yeah, good. It, that's the big stuff. I'm running the catalyst, and I I I'm I use in uh, usually less than recommended quantities, but I use uh, cetane booster because. Um, I'm thinking that's helping it to burn more thoroughly. That's what they claim. And it, it certainly gives it a little bit of a bump and makes it more responsive. So, so Joel, let, let me ask you something. When, when you are working with somebody and we're talking about driveline changes, gearing, transmission, all that, how often for you mm-hmm. is the transmission the answer? Very rarely. Almost never. Same with me. Very rarely. Same with me. Right. When, when somebody yeah. starts off the call, change it, and it's, I want to change the transmission, I immediately go into, I'm going to talk them out of this. It, 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 it's yeah. almost no, never you know, the best I, answer. I, uh, no, well, it's just, I mean, that's just helpful. I hear what you're saying. I think I'm tracking with you. Um, you know, I was, I hadn't ruled out doing the rear end gears, but I was thinking that, um, so here's here was my master plan. Replace that tranny. It's going to help me a lot and give me uh, to, to me being able to manage the engine RPM in increments of 200 rather than 400 or 350 or whatever it is would be huge. And there are many instances where if I could just shift out of my double overdrive position into the single overdrive position, right? I'm getting a little bit more RPM and a little bit stronger sort of mechanical advantage in the ratio. And it would, you know, I mean, if I could just add that one gear to this transmission, it would make a huge <laughs> difference. But after doing the tranny, I was thinking uh, the next thing I was going to do. So uh, last December, what? I converted my 24.5 low pros to 22.5 tall tires to keep them the same width. I did it because of tire availability. After I would put the 13 in, I was thinking of going to 22.5 low pros and get lower rolling resistance and a little bit, probably not measurable, but a little bit more mechanical advantage in a slightly smaller, you know, wheel tire assembly. You know, they, and then they, I thought what, if I did those things, what if I went to gears later or maybe not? You know, well, no, you're 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 exactly backwards on your thought process right. here when we talk about mechanical <laughs> advantage. You get that with uh-huh. the act, the rear axle ratio change. You're not going to get any mechanic. In fact, depending on how your 10 speed is set up, your 13 speed may actually have um, less efficiency due to some lubrication, right. the way that the 13 and the 18 speeds are lubricated and the, the way the gear sets are put together in the back. If I was you, I would keep that 10 speed. I would re-ratio it first 
because it is going to close that 400 RPM gap up and it's going to be closer to, you know, 300 in, instead of 400. Right. Um, and then if you don't like it at that point, then start thinking about the, the 13 so, speed. But I would, I would find a 253 gear, uh, gear set, uh, just like Matt done with his truck. That's going to be perfect for that 62 to 64 indirect. You'll have your, your crazy fast overdrive gear, when you're uh, when you're wanting to get out to run fast, or if you're light, and uh, I, I would keep the ten speed um, initially here. I agree. And uh, just just so you know, my ten speed is ninth gears direct and tenth gears point seven four. Oh, sure, but, uh, oh, that is a fast one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. A- a- absolutely, that's exactly how I would I would do that. Re-ratio that thing first. You can yep. find really good deals on used cutoffs, especially with that ratio, because it scares a lot of people. Right. Um, you know, start looking at salvage yards and whatnot, and you can generally get a pretty good deal on that and do it fairly inexpensively. Um, and so no that, need that, to that, be afraid of used rearing gears, huh? No. no. I, I have used them in the past, <laughs> and they've always worked very well. I have okay. no fear of, of using used differentials. And so do you have uh, any idea what, so my 90 day average in fuel gauges right now is like right about 7.1. Um, what kind of a, a bump might I expect from uh, maybe, I don't know, for the moment, you know, I was getting, by the way, in the mid sevens a lot until I put the tall tires on and bingo, you know. Yeah, it'll do. Don't don't forget too that there's always a loss going to new tires. No matter how good the rolling resistance yeah, is, there's right. a loss on a new tire. That the new tire is just inefficient, <laughs> right? Well, and did you change the revs per mile exactly. when you swap right. the tires over? If you didn't do that, that number that you're looking at, even if you're doing it by hand, it's not accurate because right. your your odometer is not. So there is there is a published revs per mile for those tires. The more consistent or the more accurate way to do it is to, is to actually measure the measure tire. the tire under your average load and yeah and and get your revs per mile that way. So um, I, I would be very suspicious that of any you know gain or loss if if you didn't make that adjustment on the revs per mile when you swap the tires over. Um, but I, I just think, you know, you mean go into the ECM and adjust the tire yeah. size input. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, the, uh, you know, I was just, uh, assuming that the 24, five low pro and the 22, five 11 are, were very close to each other, but they, they, they are, are, but if you get that number off, you get <laughs> that number off just a little bit and that could be, it's going to throw everything. Not only so your that, numbers will not be accurate. Reg- Regardless of how you do it, right. even tracking that it by hand is not going to give you accurate numbers. Yeah, and regardless of whether we'll we get the, it, the new the tire know how right, to make the, well, hold on. Regardless uh-huh. of whether we get the new tire exactly right, you're comparing it to the old tire, which was incorrect. By the time you wear a tire down to two or three thirty seconds, you've changed the size of that tire. So technically, if we all wanted to be really accurate on our fuel economy, we would probably adjust to be adjusting this like every six months. 
<laughs> that's what I do. You have yeah, to, you really right. have to do that. Exactly. If, if, if you, you do you don't, your, your numbers, right. Your numbers really are not totally accurate. So yeah, if you go from a deep lug tire to two thirty seconds, you're looking at a half inch of tread. I mean, it's significant <laughs> it's how much it's yeah. going to throw your, your fuel efficiency off. There's no doubt. Hmm. Yeah. That's uh, cause these were, these were tall, Deep lug tires on yeah, the drive. You know, yeah. Th- this, yeah, yeah. So your number, this, numbers weren't right anyway. <laughs> this seems like such a simple change to track. Oh, I had this tire and I got this fuel economy. Now I have this tire and I get this fuel economy. There's so many other issues going on there that you're, we're almost never accurate on this one. Sure. Well, look for that, um, look for a two fifty three for that, and then get yourself on. Well, keep the tires you have now, run them out, but make sure that you get a measurement and that they adjust the revs per mile for you, and uh, get some accurate numbers. I, I think you'll I, be surprised. I think you're going to do well, and I think your drivability is going to improve enough to where you'll be happy with it as well. I think you were starting to ask so the question be, earlier. Should I, that if you pull into a dealer and ask them to change this number, will they know what you're talking about? And my answer to that is, if they don't, leave. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, that, that's you're, a fairly right common thing. That. They, they, they should be able right. to do that. Most dealers will know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. And do they just reference it and, and set it based on the tire size on the sidewall? No, you can what tell they them will what do to put is in. They'll probably do a... Right. They'll do a Google search most likely and they'll come up with a number yeah, uh, for that particular model tire. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't trust if them. It, you yeah, go to them and tell them, I want this number put in this spot. Right. Yeah. Don't trust them. They'll yeah, know you how you, <laughs> they for, should absolutely. What do you mean this number? Do you mean the tire size or the it, actual? It, no, the, rev, it, the, the diameter, actual it, revs per mile. It's going to be a number somewhere near 500. Gotcha. Most of our tires okay. run from about 470 something to about 540 something. About that's 520. 520. Yeah. So yeah, I, that's, can, I can also look at those manufacturer specs for the tires I had versus the correct. tires I have now and sort of draw right. some context. But, for that. Okay. Yeah. So, and then one they, last they, question wanna, for you, just fuel economy. Should, should I expect a significant bump going to ninth gear over two fifty threes? If you go two fifty threes and run direct, um, I, I, my, my best guess that I can give you, and it's always dangerous doing this, especially guys that are running <laughs> right. are running open deck trailers. You're probably right. going to see three tenths, right around three tenths is probably what you're going to gain, and you're going to gain a little bit of drivability as well, because we're we're okay. The, the step and in the transmission is still the same, but your your RPM is going to drop, and you're running in direct drive. So you're going to have less parasitic drag through the transmission. So a little more horsepower is going to make it to the wheels by running, running that indirect. And uh, so you should have a, uh, a attractive effort advantage going on there. Okay. You had well, no idea this call was going to be so, so complicated, and- did you? <laughs> well, no, I figured if you guys got into it, I would learn seven new things. So, um, well, and maybe later if I'm, you know, all happy and you could still always go to a 13 speed, but I see what you're saying. Absolutely. 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 Abs
Hell, just go get the I DM-18s really and like be idea done with of it. Being able to... Then you'll be a real driver. No, I don't, I, I, I'm not That's seeking right. to pull real heavy things. So, um, yeah, I just the idea of shifting in 350, 400 RPM increments, just the more I think about it, it drives me crazy. I think that 10 speed was a terrible idea, but hey, that's hey, my uninformed uh, opinion. Uh, imagine, I, how long have you been driving? Six years. Oh, yeah. You should go back to when we were doing this with 190 horsepower. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I listen to you guys. I think about the old timers that drove the cab overs with no power steering. I can't even imagine. They, oh, that, that I, that's my me. My hat is off to those guys. That was me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> was, yeah and it's not the same thing. Not, not only was it a cab over with no power steering, it was an Astro. It was like driving a goldfish bowl down the road. <laughs> yeah. That thing had, no, it would have killed me. Uh, I'm a skinny yeah. guy with no muscle mass. So yeah, I mean, that, I'd that, have uh, worked myself to death just steering the thing. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, now that, um, you know, there, there was a time when you didn't shift a gear on a hill because you couldn't. If you tried to upshift, you couldn't shift fast enough. The RPM dropped too fast, and, oh, yeah. yeah, it was awful. So today when somebody's, right. you know, I, I get it. I know there, it's a little bit annoying with that big jump, but it's, it's really not that big of a deal. <laughs> well, you know, in the, in the no man's land between 9th and 10th, and you're coming to a 55 zone or you're, you know, and then you start going up a hill and – I'm in, you know, 10th gear and I just feather on that throttle a little bit and try to hold. And it's like, you're sitting on the pad at Cape Canaveral and they've lit the rocket <laughs> off and it's still shaking and it's about to lift off, you know? And, just, and so you got to shift, but then if I so, shift, I'm going to go from 11 or 12 to 15 or 16, which, you know, when I first bought the truck, I, I don't even think it was a good idea to do that because it ran so poorly, but it's, it's running smoothly now and it, it feels real good. At 15 and 16, but I still feel like I'm wasting a ton of fuel shifting and spinning that fast just to cruise through a construction zone. We do talk a lot about downspeeding and low RPM, but there are some times when you raise the RPM, you get better fuel economy. Yeah, no, I've seen that. uh, You're right, but... yeah, this is, and the other thing, other thing to keep in mind here too is you talking about the shaking and the vibration when you're when you're down low. When you're running in overdrive, so your engine probably makes what fifteen fifty or sixteen hundred and fifty pound feet of torque. Remember, when you're running in overdrive, you're, you're dividing, dividing that torque. Yes, you're dividing. So, so if we regear this to run in to direct, you're going to have a lot more torque available. Um, as well as more efficient transfer of, of horsepower, so it's. Uh, I, I think you're going to be you're going to be impressed if you re-ratio this thing. The difference that it will make in it, and and then you know, like we talked about, if you really want a 13 after that, you could hey, still go get it. Have at it, yeah. but uh, yeah, yep, absolutely. Okay, it, you know, one thing leads to another. Another quick question. Um, I just, I do struggle with wrapping my brain around throwing 10th gear away and i understand about the rear end gear ratio am i going to lose top speed to some degree on the highway with two no 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 you're 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 going to gain it it. you're going to gain because yeah if you really want to open this thing up and run then 10th gear becomes available um 
at a more comfortable RPM and Christ, you're going to have a 120 mile an hour truck. <laughs> yeah, tenth gear isn't unusable. So you're, you're, it's you just... certainly are not. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it'll only be usable in certain situations. One right. of them being the days you want to run crazy fast. You're going to be able to do it with some level of efficiency. Yeah. So the 253 with a direct that is very comfortable between 62 and 64. It's going to knock it out of the park fuel efficiency wise. And then, you know, you want to get crazy and you need to get someplace in a hurry. You've got 10 here, or if you're empty and you, and you're light, you know, lay the RPM down and, and, uh, do what you got to do. So it's going to open up a lot of versatility and efficiency for you that just switching to the 13 speed is not going to do. Wow. Okay. And, um, and pulling a grade, you know, with the 253 versus a 336. Stop. Okay. Stop. Okay. Stop. Okay. Stop. Okay. Stop. Okay. Stop. 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 With the 253, you're in direct, so you have all the torque the engine's making is available. And when you do you do downshift, now you have torque multiplication working. So ultimately, it's going to perform better, better in the hills better, than what your th- your 336 right. overdrive uh, is is working. I'm tracking. You know what? I saw this video I watched online once, and they were talking about the two sides of the transmission, and it's it's splitting it to show you didn't break everything because they're so powerful. And that's what you're talking about. Isn't it? Well, this is how the the American, the the American way was to do double everything in the transmission. They went to to two counter shafts. They have two auxiliary shafts back there. And they, they did do that to, to some degree to increase the durability of the transmission, but there is an efficiency loss associated with that. When when you do but, that, but Mike, what we're I, talking about is the actual gearing on exactly, it as far as transferring right. that power straight through. Yes. What what you just said, oh, okay. Mike, was technically not correct. When when he talks about dividing, through, we're not talking about dividing those shafts and gears and all that. We're talking about torque. It, I think one of the ways I've explained this to people that helps is if you've ever ridden ridden a multi speed bike. And the right, difference right. between those low gears where you could go straight up the side of a tree on some of these mountain bikes, they have such low gears, or that crazy high right. gear where you're standing on the pedal and it's almost not moving. That's what we're talking about here. That's what gearing does, either multiplying or dividing torque. Okay, gotcha. We, so your, your point being... The direct drive just isn't being divided, so you're not bleeding off all of that. And and then if we go to an underdrive, we're actually multiplying our torque. Right. So your 1650 might become an 1850 in essence. There's a very lengthy way that you you figure that – the attractive effort is what we're really talking about is tractive effort. And it's not a phrase that we hear much in the industry. It's a little bit complicated. Kevin went through the training. There's some math involved yeah. there to do tractive effort, but uh, that's what we're ultimately talking about here is tractive effort. 
um, and how efficient we can get power through any given transmission. Right. Uh, when we have dual counter shafts and we have dual auxiliary shafts, we do really want to try to get into direct drive. Today's single shaft transmissions, like in the Volvo and in the Freightliner, it doesn't hurt us as much to get into overdrive like it does on the, the old manual transmissions. So, no, I think going to the 253, I think, I think it'll put a smile on your face. Um, you know, I, I love the 13 too, cause you can split gears and it, yeah. Is it necessary if we gear this truck, right? It's not, um, you may get enough of a performance boost that you'll be happy with the 10 speed. If we, if we gear it right. Hey, I forgot when we were talking yeah, about, look. when we were talking about modifications, do you have a tune in this? I do. Okay. Okay, good. It's a aftermarket device. I didn't go to Pittsburgh Power. I and I would love to do that. They just I was in a hurry and those guys well, were busy I, and I, I found an you know, aftermarket well, device that has worked out well for me. But Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. If it worked yeah. and, and you know, we got more power, more torque, more drivability, they didn't do anything weird in there, you know, like turning off the babysitters and that kind of stuff, then that's fine. I mean just just having a tune right. makes the truck more drivable. Right, right. No, that that was a huge help. Good, but, um, good. It's that that gap between nine and ten is killing it, it, me. But uh, you made the light go off in my head. I made a note when you said that earlier about tractive effort. I'm going to try to go read a little bit about that to understand better. But uh, good, good. Yeah, it sounds like that's definitely the best use of the the money at the moment. Because yep. I was looking at, I was assuming at least $15,000 Look, if to it, do the training. If, so. if this wasn't about money and payback and we just wanted to prove the best fuel economy we could get, we would do a transmission and a 6 by 2 conversion and a gear change. Right, right. That would get us to the, the maximum fuel economy we could get. There just wouldn't be a payback on it. We'd right. just be spending or, too or much money to do buy it. a new truck altogether. Exactly. But, At yeah, that point, maybe, right, right. would be right. pretty but, pricey, too. But I think what we came up with was a really, you could make this a pretty darn inexpensive way to improve this truck quite a bit. Yeah. You know, I've been sort of just, you've talked about this before in a different context, but I've just been chipping away trying to do little things I can yeah, afford. And right. in the early years, I didn't have as much money to work with as I do now, but, um, chipping away at it, but this isn't the the next smaller step. And maybe a tranny will be the last thing if I Could ever be. get to it. So yep, it might be good stuff. Well, gentlemen, you, uh, you just, you guys are gold. Sure. <laughs> well, appreciate you. Well, and the time you. you spent with me today. Thank you. Let us know what you do. Call us back. I'll let somebody else get on. All right. I'll do this. Take care. All right. Let's head off to Missouri, and I'm going to let you know this is the last call on the board. If you really, really want to get in today and you dial now, we'll take it. But if not, we're going to wrap this up. Ronnie, welcome. Hey, guys. Appreciate y'all. I just got a a dilemma of... I, y'all may have addressed this before, but I, I haven't heard it. The uh, old school, like a 2000 or really a 98 to a 2002 N14, Detroit 60, uh, a Freightliner or FLD, 
Volvo uh, versus a brand spanking new Volvo. Uh, getting the older truck, I have a mechanic that's pretty cheap in doing labor. He's not somebody I could go to like Pittsburgh Tire and, you know, if I had a major problem uh, <clears throat> on something, but like changing gears, changing transmissions, uh, brakes, whatever, you know, I tell him uh, to do. He's pretty, really reasonable. What? Uh, what's so the number, just is, so we know? What's the hourly charge? Well, like for me to uh, put like, uh, he just did a, uh, a clutch of my truck. He just charged me $600 labor. Uh, so he didn't so give you an hourly like rate. He's just pricing each job for you. Yeah. It's, okay. Yeah. I've been with this guy quite uh, since 2014. So he, he does me really good. And okay. I do, and I send people to him. And, so, and let's, let's, you know, that's I, kind I, of being I'm, said. I'm going to assume based on how you described him, he's going to be kind of lost with a new truck. I mean, he'll be able to do the same old yeah, mechanical stuff. I wouldn't go with stuff, him. I wouldn't right? go with Okay. All right. Yeah, brakes. And right. Stuff like, I wouldn't okay. go with them with a new truck. Okay. Uh, but I'm just trying to figure out, is it cost efficient to spend over $200,000 on a truck that you're going to be married to for five years, you know, now uh, versus having a older truck that, you know, both of them is going to go in the shop at some point. You, you see where I'm going with this? I absolutely. Uh, here, and, you and can build. The, here, the, this here, is... I, not I, an I can, unusual I question. A, a fleet perspective. Yeah, this is not an unusual mm-hmm. question. This is one of the most common questions I've got over the last 15 years. We talk about this all the time. And there's no simple, straightforward answer to this at all. This is something you look at differently every time you answer this question. Yeah. The, the, first, the first question I always ask guys that ask this is, how much time do you like to take off? Yep. Big, big factor. It, you know, well, some guys only want to drive six or seven months out of the year, and they want to take a whole bunch of time off. If, you, if you're in that position, you're going to go let, with that older truck. I, that I can guarantee you. Let me give you another. See, and this is, we have to look at this lots of different ways. Here's something I can guarantee. If we went out today and either bought and specced a new truck at today's prices, or I go out and find a glider, an older truck, and I put some money into it to get the specs right and, you know, make everything work right. Um, Hands down, after one year of operation, you will never make more money with the new truck. Never. Not in one year. Now, if we start extending out long term, then we could start to make some more arguments. Then it starts to make sense again. Yes. Right. I well, agree I guess that's that. the argument. That's that's the argument. Which uh, you know, I pull a drive van, and I kind of like to do three weeks out, a week off, and it don't always work that way. But uh, you know, it's just I know if you spend that kind of money on a truck, it's going to go in the shop, unfortunately, at some point, and you still got to make that payment. But if I have an old truck and it's, I don't have to make a payment. You see what I'm saying? It's, oh, I'm just trying yeah. to justify everything. And, and here's here's what my brother ha- has learned over the years on this from a fleet perspective. So if you are a full time driver, you know you're doing that between hundred and hundred and thirty thousand miles a year. If you're running that many miles, he <laughs> he looks at it through. We ran some older Volvos for quite a while, and then we had some new trucks and. The actual cost is very similar to run them. The new trucks get better fuel efficiency, and they actually have 
better uptime than the old trucks do. The old trucks have, you know, lower fuel efficiency and they're in the shop more often for nagging bullshit. Right. Um, you're just, you're dealing with, uh, with alternators and belts and hoses and just nagging stuff. Now for him, it was also about servicing a customer. We have a couple food grade customers and there's just no excuses. You have to be there. So the decision was very easy at that point for him, but you can, you can run both those trucks in a very similar scenario and the numbers are going to look very similar at the end of the day. It's just one is going to be in the shop for nagging little stuff more often and the fuel mileage isn't going to be as good. It used to be with emission systems, you were kind of rolling the dice going, oh, when's the big one coming? You know, I'm going to have a thirty dollars or $40,000 repair coming. We, I believe, have gotten over that hurdle. If you spec the truck right, you're not going to have that $40,000 emissions repair bill out of the blue. It's not going to happen. Um, you know, we've, we've, we think I, we've had to write spec now for three, four years, and we just don't see that anymore. I had a call so, yesterday. Um, it, a lot of... Yes. Sometime mm-hmm. this week, mm-hmm. a DD-15, 1.5 million mm-hmm. miles on the original engine and the original one box. Mm-hmm. Still running strong. Only mm-hmm. used yeah, a, they're, a they're, gallon of oil yeah, at 50,000 miles. They're, they're getting really decent again. The, the newer technology is, is doing very, I've got a whole slew of D11, you know, emission engines or my brother does in, in his fleet that are in that 700 to 1.1 million. We've never really done anything. Right. To them, they just run um, yeah. as far as the emission system goes. Now here's they, they, they do, but you have to spec them right. Yep. Here's another factor we should think about. And Joel said it, you can make money with either one. There's lots of different scenarios we can look at. If you're going to buy new, and you want to maximize profit, you got to keep it a long time. And this is where I, you know, I get a lot of people that will say, well, how can we compete with these fleets when they'll do this? Don't compete with them. And certainly don't compete by trying to do what they do. They have to replace trucks for way different reasons than you do. They have drivers, they have maintenance issues that they don't want to deal with. For them, they like a set duty cycle, trade-in cycle, it's consistent, they measure it. The owner-operator's advantage is you can run older equipment at a higher profit because you can deal with those issues that fleets can't. Yes, your your advantage as an owner-operator should always be efficiency and your skill as a driver to minimize maintenance cost. Yep. And, and that's it. I mean, fleets are always doing things, as Kevin described, on economies of scale. They don't care about the skill of the driver, and they they don't necessarily care about fuel efficiency as a top priority. It's there, but it's not the top. It is always economies of scale. So if you're trying to emulate what a big fleet's doing and you're going to get your ass kicked, you just are because you're not understanding what's important. So it's always efficiency and then your skill as a driver. If you take a brand new truck today, like like one of the new iTorque specs, yeah, they're a little pricey, but in the right hands, you're going to get just phenomenal fuel efficiency and very, very little downtime. It, it will be in the shop, but it's going to be more routine stuff. And I believe when we spec them right, well, drive them right, and maintain them right, that 1.5 million mile engine that still isn't burning oil that will become common. 
I, I that will not. And Absolutely. now you can make money because now run it out to one point five million and then just go trade it in. Yep. Well, you know, the reason I'm asking you this is I have a truck. I have a 2015 Kenworth T680 and I did something that's against the law. And uh, mm-hmm. a lot of my problems went away. Well, most of my problems went away. And it's a 13 speed uh, Cummins. Uh, with 336, 22.5 low profiles, run Bridgestones uh, in uh, front and back, and my 90-day average is 7.83. But I pick my own freight, and I pick 40K or less in there. So before I did what I wasn't supposed to do, I was having a lot of problems. Once I did what I shouldn't have done, it got a lot better. And I here figure... Let me break down something here for you, why you're seeing what you're seeing. So I'll be straight up honest with you. That is a horribly spec truck for an emissions truck. It's got super high piston speed for whatever road speed you're cruising at with the the 336. Okay. So, and you have a manual transmission in it, which is not necessarily all that efficient anymore anyway, as compared to the to the newer transmissions, you gain a lot of efficiency. But this all relates to piston speed. When we look at the architecture of the Cummins, it has very long stroke with a very short rod. It has very high piston speed. And when you look at piston speed throughout the actual stroke, it runs away from top dead center very fast. Um, So you don't really have time for combustion to complete itself and the way you chose to gear the truck with the 336, that just compounds the problem. So your answer was to rip off all the stuff that took care of the emissions, and you see it as your problems went away, and you're going, wow, I'm getting seven miles a gallon. I would cry at your fuel I, mileage. I, yeah, I'm not picking too. on you or no, trying no, to be an no, asshole no, about it. No, right. But no, I, no, I would no, absolutely no. – I would cry – and so, I can put all the emission stuff on, on the truck. And, and again, I'm not trying to be offensive, but it's the spec was wrong on this truck from day one. You done what you had to do to correct um, an awful spec. I, I get it. I get exactly. And things got better for you. What I'm trying to say is it could be much better than where you're at right now with everything in place and being 100% legal. Right, and, and that I guess that's it, just the uh, point right. that that I, I wanted to make. You, you know something well, that took us a, to ca- a long, another truck. It took us a long time to figure this out, but I would it, I I don't have any scientific number here, but I might venture to say about half of our emissions problems have not been true emissions problems. They've just been poor specs. Uh, right. It, we're not gearing them optimally to, to really optimize piston speed for the road speeds that we want to run. I 100% agree with that. I'll tell you, as a fleet, we got our ass kicked by that. Um, we had a direct drive spec for a long time. When we were a shorter regional fleet, we didn't have to have the higher average speed in order to make deliveries. We thought direct drive with a 253 is a nine-mile-a-gallon truck all day long at 60-mile-an-hour or less. And it worked for us when our fleet expanded and we needed to run a little faster to make further points as we became a super regional or even a, a long haul carrier uh, running those trucks at elevated RPM. We started having emission problems left and right. And we didn't understand why at the time. Well, it's the same you know, emission like, what in the system. Hell is going on? We, we, the, right, the emission, same emission system, system didn't same change. Engine, right. Same, right. Same everything except 
for the average RPM that we were cruising at. It was the and spec. not knowing yeah. anything about the term piston speed. You know, I had no idea. We couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. And then, you know, I got talking to some engineers that enlightened me on some things. And when you start looking at that, that piston speed as it, as it relates to your cruising speed and what your horsepower demand is, it has a huge impact on the emission system. And Kevin, your, your number may be even a little bit conservative as to why we have emission system problems. So, and, and Case in point right here is a 13 speed with a 336 on an emissions engine. Awful. Horrible. Awful. Absolutely horrible. Yep. And oh, yeah. that is a really, really common spec. It is. Yeah. It is. Well, it's, I bought it used. I bought it used. So that's my, that was mm-hmm. my whole dilemma is I want to get away from this because uh, it, I just didn't know the $200,000 truck versus <laughs> going and buy a used one. And putting everything on it, getting a tune from Pittsburgh Power, being able to gear it where it should be versus and, and either one of them I'm going to keep for as long as it, it, it's possible to keep, you know. So, so that's what my whole well, thing Well, here, here, here's the thing. That kind of money? Here's one of the things we've learned. You want to keep rebuilding old trucks, which I, I was a huge proponent of and still am in some cases. But again, I, I said, you know, you're going to keep that new truck to 1.5 million miles. The problem with old trucks is there does come a time where it just doesn't make sense to keep them running anymore. You can do one in frame on most of these engines and you'll be fine. The next time it needs it, it better be an out of frame. And sometimes you get to that point and the, the block isn't capable of doing an out of frame. It's just not within spec. Now we have to go find a new block or a, a, now it starts to get really expensive and time consuming. And I, as much as I have talked for years about keeping old trucks running and I still like them, I really like the new trucks. We finally figured out these emissions. We finally got over the problems. And there's so many advantage to the, advantages to these new trucks. Now, having said that, right, we're not- you have to have an operation where you can afford it. If you want to go haul containers out of the right. port, don't go buy a new truck. <laughs> right, right. No, you're right. And it, it's, it's a matter of, you know, and, and you just said, it. let's put a tune on it. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's do that. To me, and, and Kevin, you might want to slap me upside the head here when I say this, but to me, that's putting Band-Aids on things. I, a lot of times um, it is. It's not yeah, the correct fix. Right. Yeah, the, the, cor- the, the correct fix is to spec it right I, well, to begin with. And in like, order to spec it right, we need, to, we need to understand the dynamics in play. And that's what we never understood before. We never talked about piston speed. Right. And I'll tell right. you who's got it figured out. The two OEMs, Volvo and Freightliner have it figured yeah, out. Right. Right now, Cummins and Packar, they've done a horrible job. They're lost. Navistar is going to have a very good one coming that they have figured it out now with this new Scania engine. All three of those builds, they have shorter stroke with longer connecting rods, slower overall piston speed, and more consistent through the stroke. I'm giving you the science of what you need to be looking for if you want to make this work. If you choose to go Packard or choose to go Cummins, and I know people are going to hate me for saying this, but you're dealing with an older design that does not take piston speed into account as to how it relates to the emission system because when those engines were designed, there was no emission system. Yeah, you know, as as much as I've promoted these modifications and upgrades and fixes over the years, and I still promote them for people who have those trucks, 
I will say for me, do you know what the biggest downside of the new trucks are? Joel, it makes you and I less important. There's nothing to do to them. I know it. You, we can, <laughs> right. We can, that's, that's not a whole lot to do to them. <laughs> we can help you spec them. And at some point, if we're successful enough with Volvo and programs and, you know, getting the OEMs to learn specs better, then you won't need us at all. I mean, I, that's kind of what I've said about these new trucks. Hell, you call me with a new truck, there's not much I'm going to help you with. Hopefully you got the specs right. Because if you didn't, changing that is usually really expensive. But if you got the specs right, we throw a fleet air filter on it, maybe some air tabs, a flow below if it didn't already have it, and we're probably a, done. An air dog. Yeah, yeah. And, we're, and we're probably yeah. done. So, yeah, I guess uh, with the newer truck running my speed, 60 to 65, uh, what could you expect pulling a drive van? Forty k. Ten, and, and ten is 10 clearly ten gallon? isn't out of the question. No. Well, let's look at what Henry Albert's doing. Look at what Henry Albert's doing with his Cascadia. He's got a six by two lift axle. It's a DD fifteen. Um, he went with an overdrive setup this time. I think he's like at a 262 or something like that rear axle, which isn't aggressively downsped, but with overdrive, it's somewhat downsped. He's at 10.44. Clark Reed, his other Freightliner cohort, he's in that 10.5 region running general van freight. Now, these guys have a lot of error stuff going on with their trailers and whatnot. Um, you know, I'm very confident I'm going to be in that 10 to 11 mile a gallon range when I get my new Volvo out on the road. Um, Mark Rotz, he puts his IFTA out there and, and he's solidly into the tens now and he runs Midwest and New England and gets down into West Virginia too. <laughs> That's and impressive. he typically runs heavier. That's so impressive. It, it is. Yeah. So can these new trucks seriously kick some ass fuel mileage wise? You bet, especially if you are the owner that's paying the bills and you pay attention and you apply some skill to it, I think you're going to be very, very happy um, and you'll get considerably better fuel mileage than what you're seeing now. You're going to be legal. Oh, I know that. You know, <laughs> and and uh, I think you're just, you, you'll be happy. Um, you know, if, again, if, if you don't, if you're not going to drive all year round, you want to take a lot of time off, you want to just run out of the ports uh, you know, then at that point, it may not make sense. But uh, I think for most operations today, you can really uh, cost justify a new truck for an owner operator. Uh, again, like Kevin says, as long as you're keeping that truck, um, it, it starts to make financial sense. So it's no problem expecting well over a million miles on these newer, the, the ones you're talking about, not the 2019, I, 18s, and 17s, but the the new ones, I, you know, a million miles. Yeah, even the 2017, 18, although spec right, I, I set a goal of like 1.3. That, that's always been kind of my number to get to. If I can get a truck to 1.3 and trade it off, I know I got my money out of it. And I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't it, even it, worry about getting those kind of miles these days. I think that should be easy. Yes. But yeah, they, they definitely have improved since the first generation emission systems where we had all the soot problems because we had this crazy, stupid piston speed going on. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're running much less EGR through the engines nowadays. 
Um, you know, I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but at one point, you know, I think we were in that 20 to 30% EGR and we're down to <laughs> like four or 5% EGR but, running through the engine. Uh, so that even though we have an EGR system on them, we're not running much through it. And you're going to notice the new engines run much hotter. And that's by design. I see guys all the time going, my engine's running too hot. I'm putting an no. extra radiant. I'm like, oh, <laughs> no, it's supposed to run no, hot. No, let it run hot. That's let it, it run hot. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. That's that gets rid of the soot and stuff. So, um, I, honestly, do your homework, you know, look at the, you look know, at the, the Navistar, look at the Freightliner, look at the Volvo and, uh, uh, look at their, their downsped technologies. And I, I think you're going to be quite happy. You know, even though we had some problems with it, I I still think there are some advantages to running an Evans coolant and being able to run even slightly higher temperatures. But we went there. It doesn't work. You know, fleet-wise, certainly doesn't work. There are some problems with it. But, um, yeah, I I think that uh, you've got a couple things to think about here. Either way is okay. If you do either way correctly... They're both fine. So, you know, we could almost toss a coin again. Uh, With the older truck, you're going to spend a little more time working on it. Some people actually like that. You know, if you're a mechanical and you don't mind keeping up with a truck. So there's a lot of factors here. Both ways can work. I have probably crossed the threshold of where I used to recommend the older trucks more often. Now I really do recommend the newer trucks more often. Yeah. Yeah, I've listened to you for a while, so that's why I was, I was trying to figure yeah, out. Yeah, it's it's been a change the over, I'm over talking time. About, is it the hard pill? That's a lot of money for me. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, here's the other like thing. A, a rock in value. Here's the other thing. Because of new truck prices, I may end up going back to some of my older recommendations for a while. Those prices are killing me. I, I can't imagine that, well, th- we had a caller earlier today, Eddie, you, he just bought a used truck. I forget what year it was. It was just a couple years old, 2020, I think it was. So that's, you know, probably a three-year-old truck now. Um, he paid over $100,000 for it. There was a time when, as you were sitting in the chair signing for that brand new truck, by the time you got done signing for it, you could not have sold it for a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Right. That, that that was just a couple of years ago. Now we're talking about two hundred thousand for a truck. That's insane. What do you What do you think it would cost you to spec, Joe? Like you, you know, a drive van to the max. I mean, just a ballpark. If you'd done everything that, you know, I would do and, and then with some very nice creature comforts involved, you're probably looking at 225 right now, you know, and just, just literally a couple of years ago, that same truck was like 187. Yeah. So I know. It, it, and they're going to go, the hard, they're, they're going hard up. Pail to swallow. Yep. <laughs> yep. They're going up again. See, um, that's, that's, so yeah, that's with, true. The, with the new emissions. I, not only yep. the new emissions, go another 40. but but we're at where we have to remember we have a world economy running at eight percent inflation. Oh, just right, just yeah, crazy. Yeah. Well, that's yep. that's Absolutely. that was my dilemma versus going by a used truck and putting every bell and whistle on that, uh, even in, including in frame in it. I mean, you, you'd probably be what seventy five to eighty at the most, uh, depending on what you pay for the truck. Yeah. 
you know what? I've seen guys. I've seen guys that have done this, and um, honestly, I was just shocked at some of the money that they had invested in these. Now, some of them were glider kits where they done gliders, and they actually had more into their yes. glider than what I had into my truck. And um, uh, one guy was significantly more. You know, there's an issue and, there. And, that I thought was going to become a problem and it never did just because the government's too stupid to ever catch on. You know, technically that glider, he should have had to pay FET on that. Right. Right. If you look at the big thing that look at the rules from the IRS, because it cost more than a new truck, he should have had to pay FET on it. Yeah. Right. And one of the other things that I've noticed on the guys with gliders, and of course, you know, these are our harder school, old, hardcore old school guys. You know, they were like, oh, your truck's going to be in the shop. You're, you're. These gliders, I mean, they're coming through with 13 and 18 speeds, and guys were losing them in the first six or eight months of remanufactured oh. transmission, and injectors, pistons. I mean, just crazy shit. The quality on those gliders, My- on the builds are just horrific. My f- most frustrating calls, yeah, and that. I'm even talking about the good glider builders, you know, the, the companies that build a couple hundred a year and knew what they were doing. At the end there, I was so frustrated because they were all rebuilding engines that shouldn't have been rebuilt. They shouldn't were mixing. They, because they couldn't get... Yes. Yep. They were mixing yep. and matching parts that shouldn't have been mixed and matched. The blocks were, should have been scrapped. They shouldn't have been rebuilt. That, those were horrible problems for a couple of years there. I actually have 10 guys now that have come out of glider kits and they've bought uh, the Volvo iTorx. And out of the 10 that I've helped, all 10 of them say they would do it again. And, you know, Um, if I had to guess, um, I may have helped seven of those buy those gliders. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Probably. Right. Yeah. And and I think at the time. They were all concerned about the same thing. Yeah, it was a good answer at the time, but things have changed. Right. They were all concerned about, well, I'm going from a 600 horsepower to a 455. How's that going to work? It just can't, you know, but (laughs) then they get in it and they're like, holy shit, this is awesome. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, you you can definitely make it work. Um, you know, I, I, alpha drivers, alpha drivers. Yeah. Uh, uh, they're hard to find at the moment. Well, I mean, if you like found the, one that somebody got if, if you found one, yeah, if you found something like that, I would jump all over it. Here, here is okay. my sweet spot on trucks. Over the years, used, new, all that. My sweet spot and, and what I will go attempt to do first. If I need to replace a truck, my first attempt will be to find a, a, a truck with less than 100,000 miles on it. They're really rare. A, a well-spec truck. With less than 100,000 miles on it. They're really rare, but sometimes I'll take six months looking for one. And if I find it, I will buy it in a heartbeat. If I don't find it, then I might just go spec the new truck and, you know, be done with it. But, yeah, if I can find that truck that somebody specced right and then got rid of it really early, those are bargains. Yep. Yeah. At least, what, 100 grand cheaper, maybe? Uh, Not not probably that much because used trucks seem to be holding uh, all trucks, all equipment, everything seems to be holding premium prices these days. But hell, look, if yeah. the truck has 
70,000 miles on it or 90, you know, or even a hundred <laughs> and, and I could get a $30,000 discount. That's huge. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, I appreciate it. That's what I was wanting. You know, I wanted to pick y'all's brains. All right. Uh, I know these things that I wouldn't think about. There you go. I'll have a good one. All right. You too. All right. Hey, Joel, we've uh, we've kind of set a record mm-hmm. today. Um, you know, when I started Uh-oh. this, I, and I say it all the time on the show, we'll uh-huh. stay here as long as you've got calls. Uh, we're going to amend that rule today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're at 1130 <laughs> and, and the damn calls just won't stop. So we have, we have two more on the line. We're going to take them, but I, I have instructed the call screener who, by the way, today is Morgan. Um, she's doing an awesome job. It's oh. been a heavy, heavy call day and this is her first day screening calls. So she, uh, she rose ah. to the challenge, but I told her we're done don't take any more calls. We'll take these last two, and then uh, we're going to get on to our weekend. Uh, Danny in North Carolina, welcome. Hey, Kevin. Hey there. Danny here. What's up? Hey, listening to to some of the show today got me doing a little thinking. Um, if I was to convert this, my 99 Volvo 610, I already have a 264 axle, so it, it wouldn't cost all that much to, to swap. If I was to put it in the forward position, take, uh, obviously you drop the center, the intermediate shaft. If I left the rear axle in, just pulled the shafts out, put the plates on the end like the uh, piggyback truck. Would I would that uh, be a noticeable difference in fuel economy? You mean? Yeah. Yeah. Anytime we get rid of that power so, divider and a differential, we've dropped a lot of mechanical drag. So that's why we're you know big proponents of six by two. You get rid of a bunch of components and drag you just don't need. Now, how do we do it? What's the best way to build a six by two? I I'm not a huge fan of the the tag axle. I, I it works. People no, have done it and they've been happy with it. I I do prefer having the forward axle as the dead axle. It's a little more expensive. It's a little more complicated, but I I just prefer it. So here's here's what we kind of shoot at for a target, and I, I try to keep this as simple as I can. So when you're doing a six by two, in order to maintain traction potential that's on par or better than a six by four, you have to get 25% of your gross combination vehicle weight on that drive axle. Now that is not always possible with the way the bridge law works as we get heavier and heavier. And it is very difficult when we try to do just a regular old, and I'm going to call it a, a dumb six by two system where we have no active weight biasing going on between the dead axle and the drive axle. When we have a tag axle arrangement where the dead axle is in the rear, we really start to have challenges with the fifth wheel placement 
in relationship to the drive axle and the steer axle in order to make that 25% target. It becomes very difficult. Now, lots of people have done this. It will go up and down the road. There's no doubt. And what I've really noticed, and, and I understand why, when guys make these swaps by themselves and they use their own hands to do it, and it's their blood, sweat, and tears, they get really proud of what they've accomplished. They should. And when too. they're out on yeah, the road, right. they're willing to put up. Yeah, they, they should, <laughs> yeah, right. right. They're willing right. to put up with some bullshit that most yep. drivers won't tolerate. Right. So you've, you've got to understand that part going in. So if you make that front, the, the drive axle, one of the things that you have to think about is if you operate in an area where there's any snow and you have to back through snowplow overburden to get under a trailer, it's really going to screw you yep. because that dead axle back there, it hits the snow bank and it's very difficult to get any weight onto the frame rail to load the drive axle to get under the trailer. So that's the first thing you have to remember. The second thing you have to remember is with no active weight biasing, almost all the efficiency gains that you pick up in getting rid of the, the, the extra lube and the extra gears and whatnot, you're going to lose a certain percentage of that because you're not going to have the optimal tire contact patch because you're splitting that weight 50-50 between the axles instead of biasing it 70-30. So you're going to get more tire wear, more slippage, and you are not going to have the same traction that a six by two that can actively bias weights going to have. You'll potentially in the, in the summertime, you're going to see some gains with it in the wintertime, probably not going to see any gains. And then if you get stuck once or twice, you just shot everything that you saw. So it's really going to depend upon driver skill at this point. If you go ahead and do that. Now, how does that active mm-hmm. distribution, is that uh, something that you can add to the truck? Or? <laughs> that, that's, that's, uh, that's not really not, a not, DIY kind of project. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, yeah. no, no, uh, that active is not. Now you can obviously, you can put a dump valve on and, and you can dump air um, again, with the fifth wheel placement that you're likely to have, where the fifth wheel is going to be slightly behind the drive axle, when you do that, it's going to unload the steer axle. Yep. And in the wintertime, again, you're going to have steering issues. There, there's some problems there that you need to be aware of. If you are a very, very skillful driver and you're willing to say, hey, I can gain a few extra tenths, so I'm just going to have to be a little more careful you know what? It, it, it may be an option for you, but don't expect that I'm going to make a six by two so, and it is going to significantly outperform a six by four in any category, unless you're very, very talented and you can come up with some weight biasing and some other, some other things that you need to make that work. And for me, it, it's a smaller part of the advantage of a six by two, but part of the advantage for me, I want to be able to get that axle off the ground when I don't need it. And you really can't do that with the tag. I've seen people do it, but boy, you know, on a, on a forward dead axle, when you lift the axle, almost everything gets better. You know, weight distribution is pretty good. Right. It doesn't get all screwy. Right. It's the opposite. You lift, if you do build a tag that you can manage to lift somehow and you have issues with trailer clearance and all kinds of stuff, but if you manage to build it, the minute yep. you lift that axle off the ground, everything gets worse. 
So uh, if, if you can. if I did a lift, if I did the forward lift, mm -hmm. do you still need a, that weight distribution or active, it, whatever you weight, call it? It always weight, helps. Weight biasing always helps. Always. Always. And yes. it's, it's fairly significant because what you'll do is, and, and I actually ran this manually for Volvo so we could develop the algorithms to run the, the programming. So what you find out is you're going to run your truck up on a scale. You're going to be fully loaded. Say you're out to 80,000 pounds. You're going to have X amount on the dead axle, X amount on the drive axle, X amount on the steer. And then you figure the percentage of the gross combination. Um, you're very hard pressed to meet that when you're heavy because it, it, you have to have carrying capacity. There's a bunch of things that come into play there. When your axle up, you always make it. You're always better than a six by four when you're axle up. It's the mid range loads that can, right. um, is where that, that weight biasing really starts to benefit you. You know, you got, uh, 19,000 pounds on the trailer. Yeah. Uh, it's in the nose. So the axle won't come up, but you can bias <laughs> the weight between the two. And, and then you're, it, it gets very, very complicated. But, um, when you get that right with a weight biasing, uh, fuel efficiency, tire life, handling, ride, everything gets better. You can know, you do it without it? You can. Uh, just be ready to make a lot of adjustments and do a lot of math. You know, Joel, you, you touch on a topic every time we talk here, and I'm not sure we've ever explained it clearly enough. Um, for me, this was a, a breakthrough when, when you brought this to my attention. When we first sat down to design the 6x2 forward lift, all that, and you, you go through the physics, there are calculations out there, you know, that you can come up pretty close what this is going to save you. You know, we're losing this much parasitic drag. We have, you know, this many wheels on the ground. And in the real world, like a lot of things, in the real world, we didn't hit what I thought we should hit. We weren't seeing the gain I thought we should see. We saw gain. We could still cost justify it most of the time. But I, I was wondering, mm -hmm. where did I go wrong? Where, why didn't I get the gain I thought I would get? And your explanation, and I want to make sure people understand this, when you talk about tire contact patch and, you know, getting that weight bias correct, if you don't get it correct, what happens is you get more slippage on that drive axle. You won't feel it. You don't know when you're going down the road that you don't have total traction. You've got slippage on that axle, especially now with these high horsepower, high torque engines. We're going to slip those wheels a lot easier and not know it. And that slippage is where we're losing our fuel economy. Yes. Yes. So I had a guy that done some testing with us, uh, located out in Idaho and he had a run from Salt Lake city to Denver on a regular basis. And what we done is we ran a six by two as a 50, 50 split. We ran it as a dumb six by two. We put hub meters on the dead axle and on the drive axle. Uh, there you go. And there was a 10% <laughs> difference between the two. 10%. 10% running oh, through the hills. Now out on the huge. flat, it was closer to two. It was closer to two to three. Um, if you weren't in any type of stop and go traffic and you were able to just cruise, it was closer to 1%. So you can see why just exactly what you said. I, we hit it sometimes, but we don't hit it other times. Right. Terrain and traffic make right. a huge difference if you cannot, you know, that, dynamically adjust that weight back and forth. And horsepower and torque. You know, we told somebody build a yeah, six by two and then, becomes then, we very told, important. then we told yeah. them to go get a tune. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Finding a yeah. locking, 
finding a locking diff would probably be a a benefit also, wouldn't it? Uh, it, all the Volvos come out standard with a, with a locking differential. That's right. Um, and, and some people, what, I forget what the hell it's called, where it'll automatically engage and disengage. Um, I, I've seen people try to set it up so it'll automatically engage while it's under acceleration to try to use both tires and, and disengage it. And I, I, I suppose that's something that, you know, maybe, maybe you could work with it and try to do, um, it would certainly be easier than trying to develop your own uh, weight biasing I, algorithms and programming, but uh, it's it's going to be difficult to get it a hundred percent spot on correct. Um, at that point, it all becomes about driver skill, and if you as a driver are willing to put the extra effort into trying to leverage the advantages. You can do it even with a dumb system, right. but you've got to be on your game to do it. It, it can be done because I know I'm going to get all kinds of people. Well, I built <laughs> I one and it. I was, I right, look, I, I get don't. it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. yes, I get it. It, it, it can be, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's always been, you know, work smarter, not harder. And I don't want to put a six by two system under the truck where I've got to be doing math every day, trying to figure out what the split should be. And then I, on flat ground one minute, I'm coming into Hills and I got to recalculate it and make the adjustments. I don't want to have to do that. Um, so at that point, a high efficiency six by four setup probably makes more sense than a homemade six by two. It really does. It's just going to be much easier for the driver, much less work, much less effort. I'm probably going to just stick with my six by four for now. Then <laughs> there you go. I, you know, I don't want to, don't want to talk you out of anything, but uh, I think you're right. I think it, it you know, probably it, makes, it, makes more sense. We were even saying this back when we came up with this, you know, we said, look, this is probably one of those modifications that only a small percentage of people are ever going to do. It's expensive. It's more complicated. It does require more driver intervention after it's done. It, it works. It can be done. It doesn't mean we should do it every time. Not even close. I'll let you go, Kevin. I know you want to get out of here. You got another call, so... Appreciate right. uh, info, guys. All Have right. a good You're day. welcome. Actually, the other called drop, so uh, we can wrap this up. Joel, I'm not even going to ask you if you have anything to close with. <laughs> I got to get out of here. My, I know. My graphics know. lady's <laughs> waiting on me. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're just going to say goodbye and have time, a great weekend. So. There you go. Yeah, uh, awesome. All right. All right, man. We'll talk at you later. Yeah, thanks so much. <laughs> All right. We will uh, see you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. Be safe. Be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.